Got a lot of things tonight. Um, we're probably going to go about three hours. And those of you who weren't here before may seem shocked, but trust me, you won't know what time it is. You won't. This morning I had to finally stop everybody. <laughs> you get fascinated when you hear about the place God's made for you. If you belong to him, you are going there. And I can tell you that, yes, there is new revelation being released today. I've had some people say, God never gives new revelation. I hope he does. We'd all be in trouble if he didn't. Because as the seasons progress and time goes by on this earth, he does new things. And he says that he will share it before he does it. Doesn't he say that? He does. So there is new revelation being released all the time. There was even in the, in the Bible... Uh, many times, new things were introduced to the earth, never been heard of before. John the Baptist is a really good example of that. That was so foreign and bizarre to the people of that time. There was only one way to have your sins forgiven. That was by sacrifice in the temple. Animal sacrifice. That was it. There was no other way. And yet here's this weird guy wearing camel hair out in the wilderness shouting something new. They'd never heard it before. He was probably in the wilderness so that they didn't tar and feather him before you know it's his time and run him out. Because it was really weird to the priests in the temple when they heard this message. All he's saying is repent of your sins for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then they did some strange thing called water baptism. Okay, we think of it as nothing in this day and time. But back then, it had never been heard of before. It was brand new revelation. There was a new way coming for you to get rid of the sins in your life. Repent. Get water baptized because heaven is about to show up. That would be Jesus Christ. And so John had the honor of delivering that new revelation of something that was about to be different and change all of us for all of history and all of time on this earth. That something was going to happen. The Messiah was coming. And he was going to give a sacrifice of his life. And when you believed on him and repented of your sins forever and all time, they would God evaporate your sins. He doesn't cover them up and put them somewhere. They're evaporated. He acts and thinks like you never did them. Actually, if you brought him up to him, he wouldn't know what you were talking about. So please stop doing that. If you repented of something in your life, don't rehearse it and nurse it anymore, okay? If you repented, it's gone. Don't let the devil beat you up with your past. It has nothing to do with your future if you repented of it. Literally, when you repent, it's wiped out of all time. It's not kept a record in heaven. It's not recorded. Now, your life is recorded, but when you repent, it's deleted. There's no trash can you can go open and take the stuff back out again. He puts it as far away from him. He never remembers it again. So somebody needed to hear that. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. So don't let that ruin your life. The blood of Christ absolutely evaporates and dissolves sin when we repent for it. But that was a brand new message being given. Brand new revelation sent from heaven for that day and time. God told um, John exactly what to say. It said when he heard from God, he went and delivered the message. And if you keep reading about John the Baptist, it said that people, thousands, went out into the wilderness to hear that message. It brought hope. It brought hope from what they were used to living in. And they wanted to hear that hope. And it said many, many believed, even the most wicked sinner received that message. That's what the Word of God says. And repented and received it. Only not the religious leaders. (laughs) They didn't like it because that meant, guess what? They weren't going to be needed anymore. 
They weren't going to have, they're thinking, hey, they do it with these animal sacrifices, we're done for, you know. They didn't like it. That's why they collaborated with the government at that time to get rid of them. But even that was God's plan. Jesus laid down his life. Nobody took it away from him. Nobody took it away from him. There was a reason why he did that. And and actually tomorrow, uh, where I'm going, uh, you're not going to hear a traditional Easter message. You won't hear anything normal from me. You're going to hear what happened after he came out of the grave. I'll talk about five minutes about the cross, but we need to think and concentrate about why he did that. What we got from that. We got our sins forgiven. We got a whole lot more. We got to become the sons and daughters of God. And what that means, what he looks like exactly, expressly, what the Father looks like, what he looks like on the inside, what your spirit looks like, how he made you to be like him. And so it's going to be a different message, but tonight you're going to find out where you came from before you came to this earth. You're going to find out what the heart of God looks like. You're going to find out what he's about to do on this earth. They call it the heaven invasion or Joel 2, which hasn't happened yet. So we're not going anywhere. I don't know why people are planning to escape. You might as well put your sea rations away. You're not going to need them. If things happen on this earth where believers need something, God will make sure we're taken care of. But he doesn't want you to hide money or hoard food. You need to give more in your life, not just money, not just give offerings for what he's doing. And I don't need your money, by the way. If you give to what I'm doing, you get the same reward I do. God's going to multiply rewards in these last days. And when it's something on his agenda, you will receive a great reward now and in the life to come. His word promises that. But I'm telling you, because of in times like this, the greatest thing you can do is to give. Give of your time. Give of your life. Give of your love. You show this world we're not afraid. We have no fear. The word says fear not more than almost anything else. He didn't tell you to be afraid of what's coming on the earth. He said fear not for what's coming on the earth. Okay, you're supposed to stand up and show the signs and wonders of God. Let them see love. Let them see life. Let them see victory in you. Because as a son and daughter of God, I can tell you what he's like. He has no fear. He has no concerns. He isn't up there wringing his hands on the throne. He's sitting on it. He is in control. He knows every day of our lives before it happens. He's seen the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And we win. The glory will always be greater than the darkness. And even though there will be great darkness coming on the earth, it says it will never be greater than the light. The last time I was in the throne of God, in the throne room of God, he said, please tell my people to stop talking about the doom and gloom. Start being excited. Wake up with expectancy. We're entering into the greatest times on this earth as believers. The time when those waves of love... And glory will be released from heaven that will go into the heart of every living human being. Something that's never happened before. You're living during that time for a purpose. So you're going to find a lot about that tonight. You're going to find out who you are. What you carry on the inside of you as a believer is the same power that rose Christ from the dead. And it's not supposed to be just be sitting in you. 1 John 2.27 says this. When you receive Christ, you receive a deposit of the anointing and it lives and abides in you. 
That anointing is the same thing that was released from the clothing of Jesus when that woman touched the hem of his garment and she was healed because, of, because it was being released from every pore of his being. We as believers are supposed to be releasing that anointing in us. And tonight, I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to train you how to release it. God right now is not sending his prophets to tell you what he's going to do in your life. He's sending them to train you and lead you into doing what he's going to do in your life. That's a whole new message. You're not coming here to hear pretty words. You're coming here so you can become the manifested sons and daughters of God by knowing who you are made in his image. So you're going to hear a lot tonight. You're going to hear about the holy, profound things in heaven. But I'll be in trouble if I don't share the fun things. How many people want to know about the fun stuff in heaven? Let me see. There is. There has to be. Why would he say you have to be like a little child? If he was going to ask you to be like children to come to heaven, don't you think that would mean you were going to have fun? He wants you to be like little kids because you are going to have fun. You don't get any holier when you get to heaven. The blood of Christ makes you holy. So when you go home to heaven, there's only one thing left to do, and that's have fun with your father. Yeah. And he's made sure that there's many places to do that. He's made sure that, let me tell you why, your loved ones don't want to come back. You're going to find out tonight. And for those of you who don't know me, I, I will say my name. <laughs> my name is Cat Kerr. That's the nickname I go by in heaven is Cat. My given name is Kathleen. They like cat. That's K-A-T. That's not like a kitten. That's like a lioness. Because I don't go around and purr and meow. I roar the things of God into your spirit. Because the Lion of Judah is roaring in the midst of his people today. He's not going to pity patty around your life. He's going to expose darkness because you need to know what it is and how it affects you. Don't you want to know? I don't come just to tell you about heaven. I get one shot tonight. You're going to get a lot. You need to not, like he said, don't try to figure it out in your mind because your flesh will try to take over and go, this just sounds crazy. But you know what? Heaven is a supernatural place. We love and came from a supernatural God. It should be special. Don't you think so? Yes. You'll do things you only dreamed of or in, your, in, in, in the most amazing ways of how he's going to let you have a life in heaven. On earth, you have to make a living in order to exist. In heaven, you exist to live. Yes. And that's the way the Lord said, tell my people these words. On earth, you have to make a living in order to exist. In heaven, you will exist to live. So all of your loved ones that live there don't want to come back here, but they're up there cheering you on, watching what you're doing in your life, wanting you to be excited about the days we're entering into. If they could come back, it would only be to be a part of what he's going to do with us. It's no mistake that you're here. I don't care how your birth took place. It was not a mistake. He knew when to send you. He knew he wanted you here for these days and hours. And you may have battled your whole life with the enemy. Things are about to change. Because we're entering into a new season of heaven coming to earth. Heaven showing up on the inside of us. That glory that's going to cover the earth is not you seeing some pretty thing happen from heaven. It's you being filled with the glory, the passion, the fire of God, carrying 
it around this earth until the whole world knows there is a God. He does exist and he wants you. So those are the days we're entering into and God is very passionate about this statement. You need to be excited. You don't need to be fearful of anything. If you died, so what? You're going to the most amazing place he's ever created until he makes the new earth. You'll be so filled with his love. And I tell you what, there is peace in heaven because there is no fear. The absence of fear is an amazing thing in your life. I have no fear. I'm not afraid of the face of man. I am not afraid of the enemy. And I'm not saying that vaguely. I know who I am in him. And when you know who you are, the enemy has a hard time trying to touch you. He can't threaten me with death. He doesn't even try that. He knows. I already know where I'm going. It's not my time. And unless I want to go home, he's not taking me. He won't let me take it off, be taken off the earth because he knows I will tell you whatever he tells me. You have to boldly speak forth what God has given you. But you better do it in love. If it is not in love, it is not from the Father. Or you've got gifts and you've never been trained in them. There are many people on this earth, God won't take your gift away from you. Unfortunately, many people operate in it without ever being trained by the Holy Spirit. When to say things, when not to say things. How to say things. There's ways he can correct you that you know you're being loved so much you can hardly stand it. It says that he corrects those that he loves. But if he corrects you, he's also going to give you instructions. And then he's going to give you edification and encouragement. He didn't come to take stuff away from you. He comes to fill you with him. So tonight, you're going to hear about a place in heaven that God has made so that your family members are not separated totally from you. They're aware of what's going on on this earth. Hebrews 12.1 says, There is a great cloud of witnesses. That would be all of your family and friends. That would be people like Smith Wigglesworth, John G. Lake, Earl Roberts, people who were on this earth did mighty things for God. That would be all the people in the New Testament, all the apostles, the prophets, King Solomon, King David, all of those who belong to God in the Old Testament, they are all witnesses watching and hearing from heaven, or he wouldn't call them witnesses. Those are his words. And there is a place where they can go in heaven to see and hear you. Many places, outside, in the ground, inside, even in the throne, there's a place they can see and hear you on earth. They stand there and cheer you on in your life. They do not get upset if they see somebody who's not doing something right. They declare God's words over your life. They're living with the most amazing person, their heavenly father, who created us, who knew us before we were born, according to Psalms 139 in Jeremiah. It says he knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. He knew us before we began to breathe. He wrote every day of our life in a book. I think that meant he was, you were with him before you came here, don't you think so? He had to have known you before you came here. Ever since he created your little spirit, you were a little spirit being living in heaven. I'm going to tell you where in a few minutes. But we are made in the image of God. You were chosen in him from the foundations of the world. I know a lot of the word. I know revelation on the word of God. It changes you when you hear revelation from the Father. It opens up the scriptures and you become so hungry you want to devour them. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who sheds the light on the word and brings it to life. He is my best friend. Everyone in here should have him as your best friend. You know what? He wants you to hear him more than you want to hear. He does. God wants you to hear more than you want to hear him. He's speaking all the time. We need to start tuning in. So guess what? You get rid of some of the world and you got room for him in there. Heaven doesn't live by the world's guidelines. It's another message I have for you. They don't. They live by godly guidelines. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. I think the hardest thing for some believers to see is that you can be holy and have fun. We should be the most fun, exciting people on this earth. You know why? We should be filled with His joy. In the presence of the Lord there is. That's right. So if we have Him in us, that means we should have joy in us. That comes from heaven. You should be excited every day of your life. People should look at you and go, why are you so happy? Even when you're in the midst of a trial, do you know the greatest time you can praise God is when you're going through something? That puts it in the enemy's face. Because here he is trying to beat you up, and when you whine and cry, he laughs. When you stand there and praise God and worship him no matter what you're going through, you give him a horrible time. He can't figure you out. He thinks you're insane. Confusion comes in his mind because he can't figure out why you're not operating like everyone else does when he tries to step on them. And the last thing he wants to hear you do is praise God. He won't want to hang around. Some of the greatest praises I've ever done It was some of the hardest times in my life. I'm telling you this because I have lived it and I have proven it. The greatest warfare you can do besides helping somebody else when you need help, is praising God. It's like a weapon that goes through the second heaven and actually does destruction to the enemy's place. For those of you who don't know, Satan does not live in hell. He has put himself in the second heaven. There is the first heaven, that's our skies that you see, our atmosphere around the earth. The third heaven is where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live. That's where the the world called heaven is. A spirit realm that the astronomers will never find, no matter how hard they look for it. They say there is no heaven, and yet they're looking for it all the time. We've discovered some new light. It looks like a big pearl. Maybe that's it. It doesn't look like a pearl. I can tell you that. The greatest burst of light and love and energy that ever existed is what heaven looks like. When you go home to heaven, you see it before you ever get there. It fills the entire sky. It's bigger than our universe. So they will never find it. It belongs to God and his people. So you need to know who he really is. What he thinks about you. And so right now we're going to stand up and welcome heaven. Uh, You can find the portal and put it on there. Years ago, when I got born again, back in the dinosaur days. (laughs) Not quite that long ago. But I was four and I'll be 60 pretty soon. I don't really remember if that's this year or next year. And it doesn't matter. I don't care. When you got pink hair, you get away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> and it wasn't my idea. I can promise you, if you knew my friends, they'd tell you it wasn't my idea. I was never a pink haired person. But heaven has a sense of humor. And of all things they picked to put on the person to deliver messages about heaven, they wanted me to have pink hair. Because you're going you're gonna to see somebody who's lived a holy life. Not perfect, but repentant. 
walked on foundations of holiness from the 1800s. And let me tell you, I could have preached fire and brimstone for years and loved it. And then he turned me into a sloppy agape love person, (laughs) filled me with his wisdom, loosed me into the prophetic, and then I thought, wow, this is really good. I love all this. And then he asked me to have pink hair. So he has ways to keep you humble. Now, people who love pink hair, it wouldn't mean anything to them. But let me tell you, I was a business person, worked with CEOs. They would not have liked my pink hair. But the father loves my pink hair, especially since they asked me to have it. Because you see, you got to see both sides of heaven or you're not going to get it. It is the most exciting, fascinating, adventurous place you could live in. And that's one of the reasons why they don't want to come back. And they get to go do those things with the Father and with Jesus. The disciples come to your home looking for you. So you can go for walks and ask them anything you ever wanted to know. There's a place in heaven where you can see the entire Bible recorded and watch it. The whole thing. The way it actually happened. So so God knows what you want to know. And tonight you're going to hear about a lot of it. But he made this place. This is heaven that you're looking at right now. Years and years ago, he came walking into my home after having known him, loved him, and operated for him for over 30 years. He walked in my home. I'd never asked to be taken to heaven. And he said, we're going to start taking you on tours of heaven. And I didn't say no. Would you say no? No. (laughs) Don't be surprised if he shows up since you said that. The closer we get to the last days, he is going to start catching up a lot of people. Literally thousands of people all over the world have been taken without dying. They're afraid to talk about it. But I've noticed that every time somebody hears the messages he gave me, they're not afraid anymore. And people all over are now talking about it. They figure if this lady can come and go and talk about the things he's shown them, it changes lives everywhere. It's not me. You don't need me. You need revelation about who he is. Revelation about what Christ gave you when he died on the cross. That's what you need. Revelation of the word of God in your life. Please read the Bible. You can't take spiritual experiences and think it can make up for the word of God. See, I had to have the word in me before he started doing this with me. I would, so I would know. Let me tell you, I know I was in heaven. You know if you're there. The presence of God standing before his throne... Some people said they've crawled up the steps, they've screamed when they were in his presence if they had hidden sin in their life. You know what I do? Run up, just like a little kid. I enter in like a little child, so excited to see my father, and he holds me in his arms. I'm not afraid to say anything to you. And if you don't believe it, I love you anyway. I forgive you in advance if you say anything against it. God, don't even, don't even write it down. They just don't understand. Just show up in the room. Take them, take them yourself, God, and show them so they'll know it's real. Because this is a message of hope. This isn't so I can make something or be somebody. I am his daughter. That's enough for me. If I had my way, I'd be wearing a bag on my head. And I'm serious. Because it's not about me. It's about knowing him, his love. His power. I'm here for you. I'm not here for me. He took me for you. He didn't take me for me. He's never stopped taking me since 1996. That's 14 years. He'd take me up there. He'd let me stand by people as an observer. No one ever spoke to me in heaven. I never talked to the redeemed. Don't ask me to find your relatives. They ask me all the time, even though I say this. I don't talk to people in heaven. 
I don't choose when I go. He catches me up like John in the book of Revelation where he said, instantly I was there. He takes me by my spirit, the Holy Spirit does, shows me amazing things, has me come back, write it all down. And then in 2005, walked back in my home and he said, all those things we've shown you, we want you to write a book about it. We want you to illustrate that book so our people will know what literally exists there. We're tired of the myths and the mysteries that man and the enemy have built around us. We're going to reveal heaven to the earth like we never have before. And I'm happy to tell you I am not the only one and I'm glad. I hope he takes thousands more and they all get to share. But he'll pick people he knows they won't change things. Okay? They won't stretch things. They won't embellish things. They will say it exactly the way it was shown to them. I'm like a big kid. I can't wait to tell you what I saw. You are not going to be the same. You won't be the same person. You can't stay the same. And people who have fought it and left and said, no, I don't think that was real. He did catch them up to the portal. We've had people caught up in the middle of this place. And guess what? They believed after that. (laughs) And people were looking at them and pointing at them because right now there's one open over top of this church. He said, wherever you take this message, whoever is there, all of their family and friends and loved ones will be watching that meeting from this place. They're all over heaven. It's Hebrews 12.1. They are the great cloud of witnesses. They come and they walk up a stairway, look over a balcony railing, and whoever they're thinking about, God lets them see and hear you from heaven as close as the ceiling. Not miles away. If you've ever all of a sudden just felt the presence of God rush over you, They were probably there. They're probably declaring God's will over your life. We declare they'll become a mighty man or woman of God. We declare they will not miss their destiny. We declare they'll become the living testimony of the saving power of Jesus Christ. That's what they say over you in heaven. That's what you need to say over your family members on earth. They're not worried about things. They look down, they see the spirit realm that's all around us. They They see the angels. They see the activities of the Holy Spirit. They see their prayers still being worked out on this earth before they ever left. Their prayers remain until they're fulfilled. Your prayers are powerful. They're like a weapon in God's hand. You're going to learn how to, how to declare correctly tonight. Probably going to do a lot of repenting for your words and other things because your words do create. You need to be careful what you say. But right now, this is a time to begin to celebrate Because I could be anywhere. God chose to have me here. This is the very first church I have spoken in in the state of California. So if you think you're not special, just wipe that off your list. God cared enough that you were not going to miss this. It's always special, it's always real special to heaven when it's the first time, the first place in the state. The first time I've spoken in a church in the state of California. And it's here. Not for 10,000 members somewhere. It's here. He checked out the heart of every person here. He made sure you didn't miss it. Because you're special to him. And your family members are right now... (laughs) celebrating and shouting and they want you to know they're excited that God allowed them to watch and find out about where they've been living in 
So let me tell you, I've been processed for years and years and years, trained, poured out, broken, experienced uh, things in my life, lost everything. We knew what it was like to smell food, not have money to buy it. We know what it's like to sleep on the floor because we didn't have any place to sleep. And we still praise God. We still, we've had doors open that us living in the wealthiest place in our town. There's no way you could have afforded to live in a place like that. Because we were faithful. He will be faithful to you. So stop thinking about what the government's going to do or not do. You vote according to the word of God. I will tell you that. Vote according to the word of God. When God's people are in there, the people rejoice. But he is about to consume the White House with his spirit. So I have a lot to share, a whole lot to share tonight. So right now we're going to look up and welcome heaven and say, Father, we welcome you. Jesus Christ, my beloved, we welcome you. Spirit of God, my best friend, we welcome you. All of the heavenly host, we welcome you. You know what? You're not normal people. You are supernatural beings created by a supernatural God to be made in his image and after his likeness. That's who you are. The enemy wants you to think that you're nothing and nobody and you have no power and he's going to do what he wants to with you. That's pretty much the message he's given everywhere. He also wants people to be afraid of what's coming on the earth. Well, the world better be afraid, but not God's people. Because we're going to do those greater works, those greater miracles that Christ said we would. And they haven't happened yet. Also, we have to be loving one another so the world will know. They're going to know us by our love for each other. Not denominations fighting denominations. There are no denominations in heaven. And it's funny that they'll even say, oh, I know that. And I'm not saying they're wrong. God used them. God used those different denominations. The Baptists are some of the greatest evangelists this world will ever see. Thank God for them. Thank God. They, they, they preach the gospel. They'll knock your door down to get in there and have you pray. I know a lot of people that got saved because of their ministry. And then there's the Holy Ghost rollers that loose the Holy Ghost and help spread him around. He's not something to be afraid of. He's the third person of the Trinity. They call him the drama king in heaven. And you're about to see more drama from him than you ever have on this earth. He's going to come to services totally uninvited with permission from the Father and turn them upside down. Because they're tired of adapting to man's services. They're about to adapt to heaven. So for a while we will have a little bit of heaven on earth. And uh, I have known the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from a very early age. My father knew them. I'm like this because of my father's personal experience that he had. We were raised in the assembly of God because that's where God put us. We stayed where he put us until he moved to somewhere else. But my dad, because of his relationship with the Father, I knew him as a young child. 
My grandmother was a missionary in the jungles. She'd come home on sabbatical and she would stay with us. She had nine kids, but she chose to stay with us. We had a habitation of heaven in our home. And let me tell you, I'm one of 15. It wasn't perfect. And we were all chiefs and no Indians. That means all leaders, all strong personalities. My mom was raised in a traditional, we know who God is home, but don't know anything about him. My dad was raised under the fire and power of God through his mother. And he put those two together and they produced a tribe. (laughs) And I do have a lot of funny stories to tell when I have time. Tonight you might hear a little bit, but I do like to tell people that we learned perseverance and long-suffering because we had one bathroom. (laughs) And you know what long-suffering is if you're waiting in line. And we didn't leave our space. We learned to be comedians and entertain people because you had to do something when you were waiting outside that door. And I want you to know that my brothers took a whole lot longer in that bathroom than any of the girls. They did. And uh, and we had one bathtub, not a shower, you know, those clawfoot tubs, I love them. And uh, we had to take the alligator out first where you could take your bath. My dad believed in a lot of experiencing nature. (laughs) He knew God created them all. We had so many pets, we didn't have a lot of anything else, but we had lots of pets. We had a big old yard, a big old house that was hot in the summer and cold in the winter. We had a kerosene heater and it was sunken on the top because we all took turns sitting on it. And somebody would time you to make sure you didn't get more minutes than the rest of them. It's only warm at night when we left the upstairs open so the heat, you know, rises. And even in Florida, guess what? It does get cold for about a month. (laughs) But it gets hot all the rest of the year. And my dad, we, we were trained on doing funerals because we buried all of our pets and we made sure they had a coffin and a nice eulogy and we could do a funeral for anybody, still can. Ask me to do yours, I'd love to. <laughs> they won't hear a normal message either, let me tell you. They'll hear about heaven. And so we sent all of our pets off to heaven, every toad frog and potato bug and lizard and iguana and pigs and chickens and doves and hoot owls and... Every fish, everything we had, we buried it in style. It was too late to tell us they didn't go to heaven. We already knew we sent them there. And I'll just tell you right in the beginning, your pets go to heaven. And they go there for one reason. You love them. He's your daddy. If you love it, then he's going to let you have it in heaven. He gave pets and animals. He gave animals as companions to Adam and and Eve. And they weren't laborers back then. They didn't have to labor for anything before sin came in. They all enjoyed their life in the garden. They had fellowship one with another in the garden. And if you don't get what I'm meaning, the animals talked. And any woman knows this. You let an eight-foot snake come up to you and sit down and start talking to you, she would beat it to death. But she answered the animal. To her, it was an animal because they were used to communicating with them. Adam called them by name. He didn't say horse, pig, goat. He named them. So in heaven, yeah, your animals talk to you. There's no sin there. Okay, that's restored to them. So you better be nice to your pets. (laughs) And I know we had thousands of them. The only time he really allowed me to see my dad in heaven, he has a massive ranch. He needs it because he's operating heaven zoo. I saw pets we had when I was a little girl, a mouse. 
a little mouse in New York. We used to live in New York. And you couldn't have pets in the building, so we fed the mice. We didn't invite them. They came on their own, so we just kept them and fed them. We trained them to jump off the curtain right under our shoulders, which is real nice. We had visitors come over. They didn't think it was funny. My dad, when he turned 60 and retired to a little farm, we bought him a little pig and he named her Sally. She weighed about four pounds. When she died years later, she weighed 1,100 pounds. Her nose is about the size of your head. And the day she died, she pushed over her pen, walked around to the front of the house and laid down under a tree and just went to heaven. My dad would go out there and preach to her because he didn't have anyone else to preach to at the time. And she, she loved all his messages. That was his buddy. And I can tell you, when he showed me my dad in heaven, she was walking behind him. Riding on her back was our mouse. And behind that was a stream about half a mile long. Charlie the alligator, Iggy the iguana, Max the duck. I'm telling you, I could name every one of them. I remembered them from growing up. All of them were there. When one dies, my dad keeps it. He's probably going to be glad when we all get to heaven. (laughs) He can let him go back to us again. That alligator that used to live in our bathtub, Charlie, he was behind big. So I can tell you, he's going to make sure I knew they went there. They don't have to get saved. They don't have a soul. But because you love them. How many people love their pets? Let me see your hands. See, people care. That's why he cares. I have you raise your hands because some people think, oh, they're just animals. We don't care. We never had pets. It doesn't matter. Well, mine not to you, but it matters to somebody. That's why there's places in heaven he made for everyone to enjoy that you love doing. All kinds of things are there. If you love it, he has it there for you. We don't all love the same thing, but many of you enjoy things in the snow. Do you like? I know. Well, you do. We don't have snow. We've had snow once in all the years I've been since 1961 in Florida. In the winter of 1989, Christmas Eve, it snowed three inches. They closed all ten of our bridges. Wherever you were, you stayed on Christmas Day. Nobody knew how to drive. They were going in the ditch. If you have a pickup truck, you were rich by nighttime. You were pulling everybody out of the ditch. Nobody slowed down. They didn't know you had to. They didn't slow down at the stop sign. They didn't slow down at the lights. It didn't matter. But he was running into Betty. Walmart was taking all their um, all of their salt for the water softeners and dumping it into the parking lot so the people could get in the store. It was bizarre. It was bizarre. But we loved it. It's the only time we experienced snow. But some people love it. And they want to live there. So your mansion is probably in a place they call Christmas Town. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> They name everything in heaven. Places, buildings, all kinds of things. They name them. You get a nickname when you go there. That white stone the word says, you're going to get a white stone with your name on it. Oh, you and God know it's your nickname. It could be Fuzzy Bear, Peachy Fuzz. It's not some long celestial name. It's what God calls you. If he already has a nickname for you, he's probably going to give you a new one. He looks at you and he thinks of you as his children. When he looks at you, he doesn't see you 80 or 90 or 60 or 40. He sees you as his children. We all belonged to him at one time. We still belonged to him. We all were with him at one time. And he sent us one at a time down to this earth so we could be born. And one day he could hold us. He could hold us as a family. The mystery of life is he wanted a family. He made this earth so he could send you into a physical world. You could get a physical body, which one day would be glorified and live eternally with him 
So now I'm going to give you some scripture. I had to show you the portal. Isn't that an amazing place? Yeah, well, there's one right now up there, and some of those people look just like you. Especially if you're young. Uh, I'm going to show this right now so I can have my husband take it back. This is the book he had me write, and on the cover is The Wing of the Living Creature. If you can find the one that says A Wing with the Eyes on there, sometimes they can't open it. Oh, isn't that awesome? I did not design that cover. It looks like it came from heaven, doesn't it? I wouldn't have put that on there. probably put something else on there. And when he came in in 2005, he said, you're going to write a book. He said, you're going to put the wing of the living creature on the book. He said, but you're going to have part of it on the front, part of it on the back. So if people come up and turn the book around so you can't see it, they're going to see even more on the back. <laughs> see, he planned everything out. So there it is. There's the part on the front. There's the part on the back with me with my pink hair, of course. And, uh, and so, and he picked the name Revealing Heaven because that's what it does. That beautiful light you see up in the corner, that's what God's face looks like. It's brilliant. If you stand close enough and stand there long enough, you see the outline of his face. You can see his eyes. And they're filled with this blue fire. It's his passion for you. If you ever get that close, you're undone. You're not going anywhere. You ever get that close to him, you don't never want to come back. You can't even think of yourself living apart from him. That's how people feel when they go home to heaven. The first time Jesus walks up to you, you will fall so in love with him. You'll be so consumed by him and his presence. How awesomely beautiful he is. People talk about his eyes that are seeing him. They're the most beautiful thing about him. Because there's so much love in him for you. And you know what he does, the most amazing thing? He steps inside of you. Heaven is a spirit realm. It's not a physical realm. In this world, in this physical world, one thing takes up a space at one time. This podium is the only thing here. I couldn't step inside this podium. In heaven, I probably could, but not on earth. You can't do that. In heaven, there is no time. It is eternity. I could be gone from here for three seconds and have been in heaven what it seemed like for hours because there's no time. The no space thing is the supernatural part of heaven. That there are things within realms on your property when he gives you property. I was telling people this morning that there are doors on your property that are suspended in air. All those amazing things you ever wanted to do and didn't get to do. It can be right there in the middle of your property. You can walk all the way around it and you see nothing until you go through that door. And in that door is another whole place taking up the same space. That's the best way to explain to you that there is no space in heaven. God is unlimited in his ability to create things for you to enjoy. People come to your property not just to see your mansion. They want to see what's in your doors. (laughs) And just so I can take you out of your box right now about God, heaven is so big that there are angels in heaven bigger than our planet. The enemy did not get the big ones. He didn't. He didn't get the big ones. The warring angels in heaven, the headquarters of the host, Michael's headquarters in heaven are on the far side of heaven. I didn't even know there was a scripture in Isaiah that talks about the far ends of heaven where he went and gathered the armies, Michael did, and brought them to defend Israel. You need to read the word. You need to know what it says. Hebrews is a good chapter to read about heaven. There's a lot of places. It talks about it being a country and a city. It talks about things being a shadow and a type on earth that are in heaven. It talks about the the portals, a great cloud of witnesses. It's a good place to read about heaven. But heaven is really all over in the Bible. 
It is a real literal place where you live the most fantastic life. And I am going to take just a little bit of time to share a little bit about heaven. Um, you can go ahead and put uh, the angel with the baby. He makes me talk about this everywhere I go. If you've ever lost children, they're not lost. <laughs> they haven't lost them. Heaven has every one of them. And this is whether they were miscarried, whether they died young, or even aborted babies. They have millions and millions of babies in heaven. When you go home, you get to finish raising your baby. God keeps it very young because they know, especially any mother, you want to hold that baby, don't you? I know. You do. And when you get to heaven, guess what? It's not going to miss its destiny either. The only thing it misses is being raised in this earth. When you go home to heaven, it could be 50, 60 years later, he'll keep that baby little. So when you get there, you get to finish raising it. And even though you're not married as husband and wife, you will live right next door to each other. It takes turns being with you. Those babies already know who the parents are. They're not like the little flesh that you have to raise up in the little natural mind. The minute that little spirit leaves that body, they understand who their parents are. They know they came from God. They go back home to Him. The nurseries are absolutely beautiful. The angels, like their little tiny babies, will help to uh, take care of those babies. I've, heard, I've seen an angel hold six in his hand. They were so tiny. And they will rock them just like this in their hand and sing to them. When they sing, the breath of God nourishes those little spirits. And one day you're going to get them all back. Isn't that wonderful? God loves you so much. He is not going to allow you to miss that. If your child died young, if it was four or five or seven, it'll be the same age when you get there. You didn't miss them either. And any gifts he gave them, he didn't take them away from them. You're given gifts on the inside of you before you're sent here. And the one thing he wants you to know is even if you never knew it, you have some kind of an artistic gift on the inside of you. Everybody has one. Maybe what you're doing isn't using your gift. Maybe what you're doing is just to make a living. You're not going to have to, okay, clean somebody's sewers. You're not going to have to repair something when you get, get to heaven. There's nothing to repair. You're not going to have to fix anything. You're not going to have to clean anything. God's going to let you use the gifts he gave you when you go home to heaven. Those children, whatever gifts he gave them, whatever they were supposed to become, they will still become that. And you get to see them grow up and begin to use those gifts in heaven. So he's not going to let you miss that. That's how much he loves you. If you had an abortion, you repented from it. You got saved. You get the very baby that you once destroyed, restored to you. There's only one God I know that would ever do that. That's our Father. That's how much he loves you. He does. I've had a lot of people get saved that had abortions that are living in the world because they found out that baby that they're still suffering from the guilt of, of taking their life. He gives them life. And then he lets them know you're going to get your babies when you get to heaven. They already know who you are. And they actually forgive the people who did that. They forgive them. And even the little children have a time in heaven where they can go before the throne and they receive Christ as their Savior. They have little ceremonies. They have little gowns and they take little bunches of flowers. They grow special flowers in heaven just for little kids. They grow little daisies about this big. Just so these little babies and these little kids can go out there and pick them. And they stick them in their hair. They give flowers to Jesus when he comes to visit them. They give them to the angels. The deer come in from the meadows and they put them on the back and they take them for rides. 
They're not sitting in some hospital bed somewhere in heaven waiting and waiting and waiting, okay? They live a precious life. They have a place called the Baby's Play Pond where I saw 50 little babies about this big playing, laughing, singing, riding on turtles, swimming with the fish. They slide down real rainbows in heaven. Isn't that precious? Because he cares about them. Jesus comes to see him all the time. Family members come to visit. If they ever get big enough, they get to take them home and keep them until you get there. So yeah, if your mom went home and you had some kind of miscarried baby, trust me, she's got it. She's got it, let me tell you, and she'll take care of it until you get there. So your children are in heaven living in an exciting place filled with the love of God, waiting on you to get there. They want their parents to come home. They really want their parents. So... This is one of the angels, and I don't know every angel in heaven. And if I do, it's because they introduced me to one. His name is Ramy. It means wise one, strong protector. Names mean a lot in heaven. It has something to do with what their jobs are, their jobs are. Even the, the outfits or the clothing they wear, it will tell you what they do in heaven. And they have millions and millions and millions of angels in heaven. And the warring angels don't do anything but fight for us. They don't cross over and do other things. There was a day when they did do something. I'm going to give you a little revelation in the scriptures. It was the day Jesus was born. <laughs> if you understood the significance of this, you'd know why the shepherds were terrified. Because it said great fear came over them. I'm going to tell you why. Because it wasn't the worshiping angels they saw singing in the heavens. They were kicked out with Lucifer. Do you remember one third of the angels? Some people need a Bible lesson. When Lucifer was kicked out of heaven, one-third of the angels went with him. There are three archangels. That would be Michael over all the armies. Gabriel is over the, uh, the scribe angels, the courier angels, the messenger angels. And Lucifer was over the worship angels. One-third of the angels were created just to worship God. We replaced them, by the way. We replaced them. That's why the enemy hates it when you worship. Because we're taking their place. They lost it. So guess what? When Jesus was born, it wasn't the worship angels that came with Gabriel. It was the host. It says, a great host appeared in the heavenlies. That is the name for the armies of heaven. They're always called the host. Michael is always called the captain of the host. The host are a different category of angel. They look completely different than other angels. Some of them are so powerful, they look like they're made of some metal alloy. It looks like bolts hold their feathers in. Their shoulders are five to ten feet wide. Some of them have facets cut in their face. Some of them are the weapon. Those are the ones who came to sing for the birth of Christ. A great host appeared in the skies. Great fear came over the shepherds. First Gabriel, who is beautiful beyond description. Gabriel is absolutely beautiful. He's the messenger angel, so he came to deliver the message. But all the hosts singing were the warring angels. <laughs> I can imagine how they felt when they said, you get a new assignment. It won't be fighting the enemy today. <laughs> you will be singing in the choir. <laughs> and so I can imagine what they thought when they looked up and saw some of these created beings in heaven singing. I don't even know what that sounded like. But I'm sure that great fear would come over them because I've seen some of them. They're 20 to 50 to 60 feet high. Their arms come out this way instead of this way. 
They only have to go one way, and that's to fight. Some of them you saw, some of them have high-tech weapons. We don't even know what they are. And some of them transform into ships. They go through the universe and the spirit realm to the battle, and when they get there, they transform into a weapon. Where do you think the transformers came from? Every idea that came down here came from heaven. God is the one who gives the ideas, the witty inventions, and the ideas God gives them. Man does not just think of them theirself. And I've seen many things on the earth that I knew came from heaven. That's one of them. Transforming into things. The angels, the warring angels do that all the time. So that's what they saw on Christmas morning. When Christ was born, they looked up and saw the heavenly host, the warring angels singing. I'm going to paint a picture of that. <laughs> Put that on a Christmas card. Let's see how that goes over. <laughs> Actually, you do need to know what some of those angels look like because they don't all look like that. They don't all look like us. Especially the armies are powerful. If you knew what was protecting you, was standing there waiting to defend you, you would not let the enemy push you around. You need to turn around and say, I'm made in his image. You are not. I'm a son of God. You are not. I belong to him. You were kicked out. You just remind him of his end. And no matter how hard he fights you, we are going to win. Praise God. You can go ahead and put the transport up there. Talk a few more minutes about heaven. When you go home to heaven to stay and you're not coming back, they come for you. They send something to pick you up. You're not going to have to find your way up there. Sometimes they send chariots. Sometimes they send these transports. I heard Jesse describe them. They look like a cable car without cables, but that doesn't kind of do them justice. They're amazing, beautiful ships that streak through the universe at the speed of light. When they approach Earth, those, they have these huge lights under the ships that are like this beautiful, brilliant, blue-white color. Sometimes when people say, I was starting to go and I saw a light, that's what they were seeing. But it wasn't their time, so God didn't take them yet. Lots of times it's that light they see. They will come for you. When you the minute you die and your spirit leaves your body, if you belong to Christ, you are at that second engulfed in the presence of God. Joy begins to flood into your being. Joy, knowing that you're going home. Your angels are right there. Probably the first time you'll see them, your guardian angels are the first thing you'll see. They're waiting. They were sent for you. The whole time you were here, they helped take you home. So you'll see your angels, okay? And then they're going to be escorted out. Uh, this thing doesn't seem to have any doors. It just opens. It just opens up, and these steps come out and suspend in air with nothing holding them together. It's a supernatural ship coming from heaven to get you. The people who pilot them are not angels. Angels go with you. It's the redeemed. The redeemed, I know what some of you will do in heaven when you get there. If you ever were a, a tour guide, you're going to pilot one of these. If you were ever in, God's got a sense of humor. If you were ever in long distance transport, you're going to pilot one of these. Because he uses your gifts. So I, know, I knew somebody, I didn't know them, I knew their granddaughter, and she told me her grandfather was about to pass away, and, and the Holy Spirit said, he's going to be one of heaven's pilots. I said, oh, he's going to be a, one of heaven's pilots. She goes, what does that mean? I said, that means he's going to drive the transports to pick people up in. The first person you meet will be that person besides the angels. They talk to you all the way to heaven. 
First they take you on a tour of the heavenlies. You go through the galaxies, the nebulas, the planets. You get to see all the beautiful things that God put out there. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to look through a telescope. You get to go right past them or through them. You go through some of the nebulas. You know what they are? They're nests for baby stars. It's not just space dust. God made everything with a purpose. So you see all these beautiful things. They tell you funny stories. They have a captive audience. And I kept telling her what these people do. And she starts laughing. She was like 14, laughing, laughing. She goes, that's my grandpa. That's my grandpa. And I I, I said, they even outfit the ship for him. They'll put the favorite colors he likes in there. He gets a uniform to wear with a cap with wings that says Heaven's Pilot. And I said, and I don't know why this is important, but they want you to know that he's going to have the most comfortable chair they've ever made in that thing. It's going to be, it's going to have state-of-the-art everything he wants in there. Play heaven's music. You see halfway through this thing up, you can see everything. See out through it. It's amazing. And when I was done telling her all that, she said, you know what? My grandpa was a tour guide. <laughs> he take people on tour buses. He always told funny stories to the people to make them laugh. He loved, he knew everything where he was taking them. And then he said the second half of his life, he drove an 18-wheeler. He always wanted to learn to fly but was afraid to, so he didn't get to. It was a desire of his heart. She goes, you just told me all three things he's going to get to do. So he will let you do things you always wanted to do and didn't get to. But that makes sense, doesn't it? A tour guide, long-distance transport. I don't know anything longer distance than going to heaven. So they will come for you when it's your time to go and you're not going to come back. Some people are taken in chariots like Oral Roberts was picked up in the chariot of God. Jesus came and got in himself. Sometimes he comes for you. If you had a special relationship with him, he won't wait till you get to heaven. He'll come and get you. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Um... Let's go ahead and put the throne room up there. I'll talk a little bit about that and then I'm going to start giving you my message. And this message I have that I want you to know about, the stones of fire and the violent take it by force, that would be you releasing the anointing, taking authority over the enemy in your life. That's the main thing he wants you to know. The throne room of God is the most amazing place to get to visit when you go home to heaven. Uh, you'll want to go there. When you get out, these transports or chariots come up to a place where you disembark. When you begin to see heaven going through the heavenlies, you'll see the brightest thing you've ever seen in your life. And it is just huge. Our planet would not even look like a speck of dust next to it. And just so you get your mind in the right place, there are angels in heaven bigger than our planet. That's how big it is. He's got room for everybody. In Revelation, it talks about an angel that can put one foot in the middle of the sea and one in the middle of a continent. That's a big angel, isn't it? They're not the biggest ones they have. They have angels bigger than our planet in heaven. It is a huge, huge place. And I've been going for 14 years and only seen a little bit of it. It'll take forever. And you can imagine when heaven finally comes to the new earth and we're on the new earth, how fantastic it is going to be. People are concerned, is it going to be the same planet? I don't care, do you? (laughs) Who cares? We're going to be with him. We'll be with him through eternity. We won't have to go somewhere. He'll be right there with us. There won't be a building that can even contain him. They'll just be out there with us. 
They have thrones. You can run up and see them. On this throne, it's in the middle of the throne room. They don't put it at the back wall. You have to fight through everybody to get there. It's in the middle so all the people can be around them all the time. There's four sets of steps like that going up to every side of the throne. You run up there whenever you want to to be with them. Sometimes Jesus comes down and he dances with you. If you don't like to dance, you're going to learn one tonight. Part of my job, which is something I do not do, all of my daughters have had professional dance instruction for 20 years. They've been in companies, danced everywhere. I've been thrown out of jazzercise classes. (laughs) I told you he's got a sense of humor, and he makes me teach you a dance. The angels do this dance. They call it the revelation dance. When you receive revelation from God, they get so excited, especially your angel, who's been trying to tell you something forever. Sometimes that voice you hear, many times it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's them trying to get your attention to hear God. So when you receive revelation, they do this dance. It's a real fun dance. We may do it in the middle of the service tonight instead of the end. It's a lot of fun. It means you're receiving revelation. They're praising God. You got the revelation, and they want you to share it. It's real easy. If I can learn it, anyone on the planet can learn that dance. I've taught it to 80 Baptist ministers. And I will brag about that because I thought they were going to tar and feather me at first. And they didn't. They actually invited me back the next year. A pink-haired lady preaching the gospel, telling them about heaven to the point where they were weeping and shaking from head to toe. They had a three-hour break between meetings and they didn't want to leave. They called all their friends to come and hear about heaven. They couldn't wait, and I taught them that dance, and they all did it. Some of them had never gone praise God, and they were all going like this. And when their friends came to the next meeting, they could not wait for me to say, now we're going to dance. And the friends were like, what? What are you talking about? Dance? We're not dancing. And they were like, get up here, get up here. And they had me come back next year. They had even more of them. So miracles still happen. So you're not going to get out of doing that dance. If I have to teach you, you're going to do it. And heaven does it. They do it when you do it. So you're going to be dancing with heaven. You feel like a kid when you do it, honestly. We do it to everybody dance now. Everybody dance now. That's it right there. (laughs) I'm not going to sing it either. When it got time to play that music, the CD would not work. Now, we had just used the CD. It would not work. And those, those Baptist ministers did not want us. And the guy who invited me, bless his heart, we'll just substitute music. And they're all yelling, no, we want that music. God wants us to dance. It's the instrumental version, in case you're wondering, why would he pick that? Because he wants you to dance. You will dance when you go in your mansion and see what he gave you. You will dance going down the streets of gold. When you look in, it's clear all the way down. You see, like hundreds of feet down, you see your reflection looking back at you. When the buildings glow with the glory of God, you are going to dance. The first thing you notice in the throne room is there's a million people dancing in there. And the first time you come home, they will part like the Red Sea all the way up to the throne. And God and Jesus will look you in the eye and you think you're going to melt right there on the floor. Jesus will come down and take you by his arm and escort you all the way up. Everybody will stop and watch you receive from the Father the first time. He'll stand up and hold you and you think, I'm not ever leaving here. I don't care if I ever go anywhere else. If I get anything else, you haven't seen your mansion at this point yet. Man, where do you see that? You're just so happy to be with him. 
and that waves of love begin to melt you. Everything in you you ever thought was important, it just melts away. It doesn't matter. All those questions you had, you don't care about them anymore. He turns around and says, look, here's my son, here's my daughter. They have come home. And then the whole throne room breaks out celebrating. They have a huge party. They know how to party. Heaven celebrates God created and invented parties, not the devil. The only partying in hell is the demons partying over getting you. You're not going to party in hell, but if you go to heaven, you will. Have a big party in the throne room. They will dance. You go down there. Everybody will grab you, start dancing with you. Jesus comes down. Everybody gets... I've seen them do a line dance in heaven. And you won't run into each other either. Because the Holy Spirit's orchestrating it. Even I will actually be able to dance in heaven. That's what my daughter say. When you finally get there, Mom, they won't teach me dance. They don't want to watch me dance. They laugh too hard. They fall on the floor. They're amazing. I am something else. <laughs> but they, they dance in heaven. And then you will celebrate. The Father will thank you for all you've done for him. Tell you how much he loves you. So I'll just sit here forever. And then you go down there and celebrate with everybody. And then your family members, if they haven't already gotten you, will come and get you and drag you out of there. Because they've been waiting forever and ever for you to come home. They've been getting you gifts. You get gifts in heaven. God started it. He gave the first gift, his son. They never stopped giving. So you have gifts that they get you in heaven. They pile them in your mansion until they reach the ceiling. They'll take you home to your mansion. You'll start shouting when you walk on the property and see what he just put on the outside of your property. Then you go in your door and you really start shouting and rejoicing. All those amazing, wonderful things, they're all in there. I'm telling you, the decor is so amazing. I tell people there's flowers living that grow right out of your wall. You never water them, prune them. They sing when you come home. They, the flowers will sing to you. If you have flowers anywhere in your home, when you come home, every time you come home, they will sing to you when you come in the door. They're happier there. It's an amazing place. You walk on gemstones all the way up to your house if you like them. The flowers outside, when you walk down the paths of heaven, they change colors and they sing to you. Waves of color go across the sky all the time. You get light shows all the time in heaven, even though it's never night. It's so brilliant. The colors are so amazing there. I love the artwork here. I see a lot of this stuff in, in heaven all the time. Colors and music blend. Art and music are one in heaven. You know who the conductors are of the symphonies? The artist. The artist. They play what is painted in heaven. Down here, we paint while they sing and play. In heaven, they're the conductors. But we're finally connecting is something important to God. You create worship every time you dance, every time you sing, every time you play an instrument. You create something in the spirit realm around you that God collects as worship. They know what's going on in your life in the throne room of God. Have y'all enjoyed this so far? Yeah. Stand up for a second. We're going to do something real quick and then... We're going to keep going. <laughs> when you speak with your words, it creates life or death. That's what the word says, right? Yes. The power of life and death are where? Say it loud. In the that means what you say matters. Is that right? Yes. We're supposed to speak life, not death. Yes. When you speak life to people, out of your mouth flows the river of life. Literally, in the spirit realm, if you can see, I, I see in the spirit realm. 
And I see in people's homes sometimes it's just I'm engulfed by the by a river of life. You walk in, the life of God is there. If I go into a place where people scream, fight, and argue, it is a cesspool. So if speaking life creates a river of life, guess what? Speaking death. That's gossiping, backbiting, screaming, yelling, hating. You actually in the spirit realm release a cesspool in your home. Demons will come and swim in that cesspool. Don't invite the enemy into your life. So I know we've all at one time in our life spoke things. And the worst thing you can do is talk bad about your family members. I know the rascals. God knows the rascals. He knows what they're doing. He's not been blinded to what's going on down here. But you know what? They're all his kids and he loves them. And you remember what I told you. They say in heaven, you're going to become a mighty man or woman of God. You're not going to miss your destiny. You're going to become the living testimony of the saving power of Jesus Christ. That's what you're supposed to say about your family members that don't want God, that don't know him. And then when you turn around and tell everybody how bad they are, you wipe out your prayer. You cannot be double-minded. That means you're saying one thing, then turn around and saying just the opposite. You're being tossed to and fro like waves in the sea. That's what the word says. It says you won't get anything from God. So if you want to stand for their salvation, you say what heaven says about them. And don't let other people let you say otherwise. If they're doing bad things and someone calls you and said, Well, I heard your brother was running around. He got drunk every day last week and he's doing all this. And you know, you know what? He's going to become a mighty man of God. He will not miss his destiny. Start saying what heaven says. You know what? You're going to hear click. And they won't call you back to gossip anymore. And actually, you can use that for anyone who gossips. Because see, you're, you're not blasting the person. you got to know how to talk to people about God. You can't point at them and say, you know, you're, that's just trash. You're trashing. You know, God doesn't like it. He's writing your name down. You're going to be in trouble. You're going to bring curses on yourself. Don't say those things. Just respond and say what heaven says. They're either going to call you and ask for prayer or they're never going to call you again. Because they didn't call to hear you say that. They called to hear you gossip. The enemy loves it. God hates it. It's on his, the deadly sins list. So when you speak like that about people, you release stuff in your life that gives the enemy entrance. So we're going to get our records totally wiped clean tonight. Y'all want to do that? And I may as well throw the next one in, not take time to do it later. Whatever you enter, these are things that God said, I'm giving you a platform. When you start sharing about heaven, you're going to show them what happens when they do things in their life. I need to let them know how the enemy operates so they know that they get to make a choice. But in this day and age, he's going to share with you how the enemy gets in your life and you don't even realize it. Whatever you enter into, that means when you go to watch things or listen to things, you open doors in your life, either to heaven or hell. They're around you all the time, and you, is that mine? I'm doing that. Beeping. <laughs> I'm right on time. That's right. I thought we'd get me a little watch to see how long I've been going. And uh, did you set that for an hour? All right, never mind. <laughs> it didn't work, just take it away. If I see you falling asleep on the floor, I'll end. <laughs> but you need to know that whatever you enter into, because you choose, and a lot of people think because the world says it's okay to do things, they think it's okay to do them. But they don't do some of those things in heaven. If you've ever prayed, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how many people prayed that? 
That means you want things done down here the way they do them in heaven. Is that right? Yes. In other words, what you allow in heaven, we want to allow it on earth. How are they living in heaven? We want to be that way. There is no witchcraft in heaven. There are no vampires in heaven. There is no sin in heaven, no pornography in heaven. There is none of that in heaven. And yet the world says, if you're a certain age, you can go watch it all you want to. The word says, do not even talk about the evil things done in darkness. Don't even talk about them. That doesn't mean you can go and watch them. You are not going to learn anything from that. You're opening yourself up to the enemy. I'm not talking about being possessed by him. I'm talking about him interfering in your life. Okay, that doesn't mean you can't have fun. See, this is the other side that people need to tell you. You can have fun. You just make the right choices. Okay, but there's been such a spirit of witchcraft loosed on this earth, and people got bored with it. They wanted more, so now a spirit of death is being released. Vampirism represents death. A spirit of death comes with that. They, they lose a seducing spirit with that, so people will be captivated by those stories and stuff. But honestly, it's the enemy just trying to get a hold of you. And God wants you to know, because in the last days, when there's copycat signs and wonders done, they're seeding you for that now, because they'll be actually saying, there's good witchcraft and bad witchcraft. That's what those movies say, is that right? Yes. There is only witchcraft, and it's not good. But when you go and watch that stuff, seeds get planted in you. Your spirit picks up stuff when you go to see that stuff, and it's planting seeds, so when the day comes... Not everybody, but some people, they will actually be portraying in the last days that the devil is really not bad. You know, there's good witchcraft. Look, he will actually have his people healing people, teaching how to levitate, doing all these fantastic things, and people will run after it. Because they've seen all these movies, good witchcraft, bad witchcraft. We're the good witches. We do the good stuff. There is no good witchcraft. It is bad. So if you got it, throw it out. If people are watching it and you don't have the authority to get rid of it, then go lay hands on it and nullify the power of the enemy to use it. You're going to learn how to do that at the end of tonight. You are going to learn how to release the anointing that actually will affect the power of the enemy in your life, in places that you drive by, places that you go. You have power over all the power of the enemy. And the anointing is what came out of Christ when he stood up in hell on that third day. He stood up and let the glory of God leave him. The anointing is what marred and scarred the principalities and powers in hell. They'll never forget that day. They don't want you to know you have the same thing on the inside of you because then it will be Christ duplicated by the millions. When that starts getting released in the earth, it is going to do something. It is going to be part of Joel 2. So we are going to be doing some things that never got done before. So right now we're just going to all repent for stuff. And you're going to wipe, squeaky clean. So make sure you don't enter, you think about it before you enter into something. It will affect your life somehow. All right? So everybody just look up and say, Father, Father I, repent I repent for every ungodly, for every ungodly unkind, unkind, negative, negative hateful, hateful, wasteful,
act of my will, I choose to forgive anyone who has spoken about me or against me for any reason, even if my flesh doesn't want to. I choose as an act of my will to forgive them, act like they never said it, erase it from their records, and then sick them, Father, that they might be free, that they might know you. And Father, I repent for entering into things that were not yours, that belonged to the enemy. Did they get the music? Oh. Um, everybody dance now. Did you take the one? He can help you find it. Y'all sit down for a minute. Let me know when you find it because we're going to run the dance. I'll just share the first part of what I want to tell you about. It's in Ezekiel 28. I have a lot of scriptures. Um, you don't have to write them down. I would encourage you to get these these CDs or whatever CDs or videos. It's going to be hard to remember a lot of the stuff I give you. I, I have a lot of the Word of God. Praise God. I'm going to tell you all where you came from in heaven. Before you came to earth, it's something the Father wants you to know. And uh, I love 1 Corinthians 2.9. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered in the heart or mind of man. But God has created for those that love him, unless it be revealed by my spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who catches me up. I have no idea when they're going to take me. They just catch me up and I'm somewhere in heaven. And then they let me listen to what people are saying about their loved ones. Or they show me places in heaven. They have me come back. They have me write it down. And then if it's somebody in heaven, I, he gives me their names and addresses of their family members. If you ever read about their stories, and actually when, I went to, when he came back in 2005 and asked me to write the book, he said, you're going to go back to all those people you ministered to over the years that you shared heaven with about their family members. You're going to get them to sign legal releases. You're going to put their stories in the book. Do not change any names. Can you imagine? They let me use their real names. Then you're going to get their personal statement confirming that what you told them was really heaven. You can call any of the people that are listed in these books. And they will talk to you. People do it all the time. And you're going to hear about the story about Marissa tonight, a little bit later if I have time. Um, but that's what he did anyway. And so he told me you're going to use, what he was doing the whole time 
I thought I'd have a heaven ministry. I told my pastor, a lot of the staff knew I was an intercessor there. Then I was on their, um, their ministry team for a while. I was head of hospitality. I love my pastor. I love my pastor. I love his family. I've been a member there for over 20 years. Uh, he actually lets you use your gifts there. It's amazing. The word of God says in Jeremiah 33.3, Call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things to come. Now that's a promise to any of his people right there. And then there's he, uh, Amos 3.7, The Lord God will do nothing but he reveals his secrets to his friends, the prophets. So he's going to tell you things before they happen on this earth. There's many other scriptures that talk about that. So God does speak today. He does show you things today. And then Hebrews 12.1, the great cloud of witnesses. Revelation 21 talks about the streets of gold in heaven. They're pure, transparent gold. Uh, and actually, when I had the portal up there at the bottom of the columns, if you saw what that looked like, it looks like a transparency in the gold. That's what the streets of gold look like. Hebrews 11.16 says it's a city and a country. And John 14, 2 and 3, everybody knows that. In my father's house, that would be the planet called heaven. Our many mansions. And then he says he's going to go prepare a place for you. That means you individually, he's going to make you a place so perfect and so amazing that you will absolutely love it. And that's why he makes one for everybody. You don't live to, everybody has their own place, but you visit each other all the time. And he lets you share all the things you got. You bless people all the time. He lets you use your gifts in heaven. So no matter what you were, a chef, a designer, a baker, uh, you could have been someone who designed uh, uh, fashions. Or maybe you were a musician. A lot of people, they have a lot of musicians in heaven. A lot of wannabes, you get to be. <laughs> you may not have ever played an instrument in your life down here. You go up there, you'll be able to play, and you get to learn from some of the greatest people. Yeah, yeah the great artists, if they made it, you get to learn from them. <laughs> They have a place in heaven called Word University. And uh, you will learn the word of God whether you do it down here or when you go home to heaven. The good thing about heaven is this. Now, don't wait till you get there. You need to have some knowledge of it. But the person who wrote the book teaches the class. Now, you tell me. Some people go, oh, i got to go to school. Wouldn't you want to hear from the one who wrote that book? Yeah, that was amazing. People want to go there. They want to go more than once. <laughs> When I tell that pastors turn around and go, I told you, I told you you were going to learn the word of God if you don't live it. Then I tell them, well, the person who wrote the book teaches that I'm going to go too. <laughs> who wouldn't want to learn from those amazing people? So they, they have places in heaven to be educated. They have a place called Royal University. Um, will someone take these from me? I don't know where he went over there to help them find that music. Got to find that music, Jesus. Help them find that music, Holy Spirit. We want to, we want to hear that music. And I'm just telling ch- you little things until I find my notes that got all mixed up when they fell on the floor. <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit about passionate power. Let's just take a minute and talk about that. How many married couples do we have in here tonight? Let me see your hands. Mm, okay. Some. One of the greatest things that there is problems with in the earth is marriage. And God meant that to be, some people find this hard to believe, a precious blessing to you. Honestly, it was supposed to be a blessing. That's what he created it to be. I found one of my notes. See, they don't like to give me this stuff because I stand up here and play with it the whole time I'm speaking. And if I drop it on the floor, I will actually bend down and pick it up and disappear off the video. (laughs) 
I remember the first time I did that, my brother was actually doing all the burning of the thing. He goes, where in the world did you go? You disappeared right in the middle of your message. I went, I dropped my pen. <laughs> what were you writing with? Nothing. It was just up there. And I dropped it. So I picked it up. <laughs> well, don't do that anymore. And he said, if you wave your hands anymore, I thought you were going to knock your Dr. Pepper off on somebody. I missed it every time. I don't know how. Well, in Ephesians 5.31, it talks about being joined together and becoming one flesh. And it also talks about what Christ is. It is a mystery, but the coming together of a husband and a wife is symbolic of Christ and the church or his bride. And that means your physical love for each other. That's what he's talking about. It empowers you in your life, in your married life. It is the most important thing you can do besides loving God. Passion has power, whether it belongs to the enemy or God. But in a marriage, God meant that for you. It's like giving fuel to each other. If one of you is not, well, if one is not loving, neither one of you are getting anything. But when you love one another, it is like getting fuel from heaven. It is, what the Father says, the single greatest warfare you can make for your family is by loving one another. You're making warfare for your marriage, shutting the face and the, shutting the door in the face of the enemy out of your married life. He doesn't care who you're with as long as it's not your spouse. Isn't that funny? And it's true. And you know it's true. He will try to drag you off with somebody else. He doesn't want you to stay together because when you're loving one another, it is warfare in the spirit realm against him. It brings life into your marriage. It helps you empower your spouse to become everything they're supposed to be. You're giving them power with your passion. Honestly, when Christ loves us, it empowers us. When you love one another, you are giving power to each other to become a mighty man or a mighty woman of God. And if you're not getting anything, you're running on empty. You are not going to be happy. You become dissatisfied. That's why it says to don't come apart without permission for a short time. Okay? There's reasons for that because when you're loving one another, you're actually allowing heaven to come into your life. And, and God gave me some little, little one-liners to give you about this. If you're lacking in your finances, check out your love life. In marriage. I'm talking about married to the married people only. Check out your love life. Because this is what he says, when the love goes out, the supply will come in. And you can sit there and stare at me all day long, I proved it. I proved it. My husband was separated from his job last April. We've had more finances in our life. And I'm not talking about from just traveling and speaking. I'm talking about God sent it into our life because we are loving one another like we never did before. Trust me, you know what it'll do? It will zoom up your love life. You will be so happy, you'll be grinning everywhere. For all of you who don't know, you need to get married one day. You married the right person. Don't run around go looking online or somewhere else. Let God bring you the right person. He has somebody. And if they don't know God or love God, you definitely don't look at them. You may think that they're Mr. Wonderful, but let me tell you, or Miss Wonderful. But when you get married and find out they're not so wonderful, you're stuck. It's like being in prison. Trust me. I did that myself. I can talk from my own experience. When I was young, I went out and found somebody. Isn't that stupid? And I hear God accurately and didn't ask him. Sometimes we need to ask. He let me go my merry way. I picked out somebody, was not in love. Oh, this will be a good person to marry. I honestly did this. I was 19. 
oh, I'll get married, we'll go travel and have fun. I won't live at home and share one bathroom with that many people. I can have my own bathroom if I want to. And so he let me marry this person. It was not the one he picked for me. I just picked up. We didn't even love each other. We were, thought it was exciting to get married. And it was misery for six and a half years. Misery. He didn't want me to do anything. He didn't want me to do anything. And he was a Christian. He didn't want me to do anything for God. He didn't want me to be getting ready for my, my destiny, which I've known my whole life. And I should have checked. You need to ask sometimes. Now, I'm not telling you to go get rid of the person you've been married to. God will sanctify your marriage, and he can use that person. But it's important if you have a destiny for him to do something with you in this earth, you need to make sure you have the right person. And if you were married before and you don't have anybody now, guess what? It's not too late. If you're not married to anybody right now and you had a miserable time in your past, he can still bring you the right person. He wants you to have love in your life. But don't be unequally yoked together. That means you don't marry somebody who doesn't know him. Don't marry someone who doesn't want anything to do with your destiny. You make sure you say, this is what God called me to do, and I'm going to do this in my life. So if you can come be a part of it or we can do it together, that's different. But I tried that, and guess what? It was not a happy... I came home from my honeymoon, and I wanted out. I wanted out. This is not fun. I don't like this. And then he didn't treat me very nice, bless his heart. I forgave him. And God said, I want you out of that. I've got someone you've got to marry anyone. I don't want anybody now. It's just me and you. I don't want anybody. I'm not looking for nobody. And if there ever was a Cupid, his name is the Holy Spirit, who hunted me down, brought me my husband that I have now got, think is the most hot, he's the hottest thing in this world, let me tell you. He looks great in a kilt. He's Scottish. I'll just tell on him. He looks great. And I didn't want anything to do with him when I met him. And God said, you're going to marry him. I went, well, you know, I'd rather not. And they shot me so full of love arrows that I fell in love. I talked to the telephone poles about him. I was telling everybody how amazing this person was. Oh, my gosh, I could just drown in his eyes. And he's just got the sexiest lips. I just think he's amazing. And then he told me he wanted six kids. Remember, I'm one of 15. I went, hit the road, buddy. I told him, find someone else. I'm not having six kids for anybody. He was an only child. He didn't know what he was saying. And I went, you know, I've changed 10 million diapers, and they weren't pampers. They were a cloth. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it is a nasty business. I had sat up with the sick kids, helping them with their homework, washed their clothes. We did 60 loads of laundry a week in our house. I had to make 10 sandwiches a day for their lunch. It was just, uh, you know, I've had enough. And I said, I'm I'm not going to have six kids for anybody. Then God got a hold of me later in my prayer closet. You are going to marry him. You are going to have three kids. You're going to have three daughters. I need that holy seed. You are going to marry him. You go make a deal with him. God, I tell you what, if you say I'll do anything for you, you better be ready, because I gave him permission. I went back to him, I said, well, I'll, I'll make a deal. I will have three, <laughs> five years apart, because I want long rest. My mom had eight kids by the time she was 28, and I was the chief babysitter. Then she had eight, more, seven more when we came down to Florida. Oh, yeah, that was number three. My older sister ran away and got married. I didn't blame her. My older brother went to the military. I didn't blame him either. And my sister under me went to Bible college. They left you know who to take care of the crew. 
and all of the animals too. Hey, I just rhymed. <laughs> so I was not looking for that kind of, kind of a life. I went, I'll, I'll, I'll make a deal. I said, I'm going to marry you, not because I can live with you. I'm going to marry you because I can't live without you. I was so in love with him. I'll marry you because I can't live without you. But you're going you're gonna to promise me we'll have three kids five years apart and you will never ever tell me I can't buy pampers. Because <laughs> I am not going to be the health nut. I'm not putting cloth diapers on my kids. I'm going to put something I can throw away and never see again. <laughs> and he said, we made a deal. And 33 years later, we're still here. 33. We had three daughters, all do dance ministry, all love God with all their heart. And they are, you know, the holy seed he wanted. And I gave it to him and I paid in full. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, the first two we had five years apart. The, the third one, with that second one, I needed seven years. So he cut me some slack and let me have two more years for the, that last one came along. <laughs> but, but you know what? You have to be willing to hear God and obey God. But we learned about passionate power like two years ago. And I'm letting you tell you, it works. It works, it works, it works. Lay aside your feelings, lay aside your headaches, lay aside your differences, and just crank up some passionate power. And you wait and see what happens to your finances. I challenge you. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? It's obeying God. You are actually, this is symbolic of Christ and his pride, his church. When he loves you, he gives you everything you need. When you love him, you feel so filled and so happy and satisfied. And it will produce warfare. And this is what God said. When are my married couples going to stop making war and start making warfare? Amen. War is fighting, not loving. Loving is warfare, in case you didn't get it. So stop making war, start making warfare. When we tonight come down here and I stir up and release in, uh, stir up and activate the anointing in you, I'm going to have the married couples make a separate line. You're going to get passionate power released into you. Don't get in that line if you're not married. <laughs> you don't need to get yourself in trouble. So that was my little mini message. Did you find the music? Okay, everybody stand up. This is the middle of the service, so please don't leave after you dance. <laughs> You've got to hear about where you came from inside God. You've got to hear about the stones of fire, where Lucifer walked, why he said he was like the Most High. Um, and then you're going to get become the violent to take by force from the enemy. So, But right now, we're going to run this dance. And when you get ready, did you ever see some revelation tonight already? Let me see. So you need to start changing your mindset. Because there's a time coming on this earth where you won't want to live in church. The manifested presence of God will be so powerful, you'll see angels holding open the doors for you to come in. You'll see their band playing with the worship team. The glory cloud will sit in these places. You'll stay for hours and not care. You will pay someone to go and do your job so you don't have to leave the presence of God. That's what's coming. That's one of the things coming. So um, where's Jen? I'm going to let her help. 
Jenna's my baby sister. Oh, this is the caboose on the train. My parents' train. This is a caboose right here. My dad called her the caboose number 15. And he actually let all the kids vote for her name. Now, wasn't that nice? All the boys wanted to call her Julie. My dad wanted Betty Lou. That burned and went down in flames. And all of us girls wanted Jennifer. And we won. <laughs> we won because that would make eight girls and seven boys. <laughs> we were actually betting on whether it was going to be a boy or girl. We knew it was going to be a girl. God loved us more. <laughs> and sent Jennifer. And so she's going to teach you this dance. Um, the first movement means you're receiving revelation. The second one means you're praising God for the revelation. And the third one means you're going to share it everywhere. It actually makes sense. And the angels do this dance. If you think you look funny, picture them, these 15-foot angels in their gowns with their big old wings. And they're doing this. They look like the uh, soul-trained backup dancers. For some of you who don't know what Soul Train was, it was, uh, it was a black music show. <laughs> yeah. Soul Train, and they put a lot of soul in their music, and they always had the backup dancers, you know. And they all moved in such unison. Well, that's what the, the angels all look like when they do that. So, okay. So the first movement means you're, uh, you're getting revelation or digging up treasure. This is the first movement. Go ahead. You got a scoop. There you go. That's like digging up treasure. That y'all do it. Oh, you're digging it up. Yeah, you're digging it up. It's like you're receiving revelation. You're, you're getting revelation. Yeah, let me see the mic for a second. Yes, not on. Yeah, I think we got something turned loose. That's okay. Let me see the, let me see the battery. Okay, I'll go get another battery. Okay. Okay. like dead yeah y'all are practicing really good <laughs> I blew the battery it was the power of God I'm sorry <laughs> oh there we go oh I get a cord look at this I got a cord on my microphone <laughs> I do jump rope with it something more to play with okay y'all next The second one is you're praising God for that revelation. The second one is you're praising God for the revelation. And the third one is you're going to share it everywhere. This means you're sharing it. Got to show them first. First do this. You're going to share it. And this means everywhere. Now, you will feel like 
kids when you do this because you are really connecting with heaven. Whoever knew you could connect with heaven by doing this? And we, we practice it to accountivate. It, it helps some people. Some people forget it until you get to heaven. But we're going to practice to accountivate. So let's do that. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And the father told me one time, he goes, no, I want you to use this other music. He said, the enemy's been stealing music for years, so I'm going to take some of his that he thinks is his, and I'm going to use it for me. So if you want to go to iTunes, get the instrumental version of Everybody Dance Now. And that's what he said, I want you to use because my people are going to learn to dance. When you're doing this dance right now, all of your family and friends at the portal will be dancing with you. And and everyone in the throne room will be doing this too. So literally, you will feel, you will begin to feel heaven pour out on you. And the way you'll know it's being poured out is you'll start to laugh. And all the ones not doing it, you're the ones standing out. <laughs> like sore thumbs. So let's get ready and... Uh, Crank it up. We'll do it about three times, and if we have time, we'll do it at the end. But I don't, I want, I don't want you to leave without doing the stand. So get ready. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Are y'all ready? Let's let's go. Turn it up. <laughs> Hold on. I, I've seen them do all kinds of dancing, line dancing. Can you imagine a million people line dancing and not running into each other? They have things that look like minuets. Then they do crazy things where you just stand there and dance wildly, jumping up and down. And then they do beautiful stuff. They do the circle dances like the, the Hebrew people do. All kinds. I've seen Jesus come off his throne and all the guys line up in a big line all the way across the throne room like this and they all link shoulders like in the Greek dancing and they make this huge wave that goes all the way around. You get out of the way, women, because those men are going to dance. It's powerful when men dance for God. It is really powerful when men dance. God wants you to dance. Do we, do we find it? They're practicing up there. Oh, uh, let's practice one more time, okay? Grace. Oh, Grace, yeah. Oh, I'm going to tell you about Grace real quick. Another thing he did was catch me up to the throne one time for this one. He didn't want me to show up out in my house anymore when I got up in the morning. And he said, if you will learn to do this, then you will be filled with fuel from heaven every day. We're saved by grace, but there's, there's grace for abundant life. You get saved by grace for eternal life. But God said, when I sent my son to the earth, if you look in the scriptures, it will say, I filled him with my grace as a child. That grace is grace for abundant life. That's one of the reasons why Christ walked through this life and didn't let things touch him. And he said, my word says, 
to come before the throne of grace to find grace for help in time of need. That would be every day of our life. You find it. You come before it and find it. He said, this is how you find it. Every morning when you wake up, you look up and say this. Father, Father I, ask I ask for and receive abundant grace for this day. And then he said, when you do that, I will fill you with fuel from heaven for that day. You, I feel the Spirit of God on me. He loves it when I share this. You won't be the same person when you come out in that, out of that room. You won't be you. You will have every bit of thing, whatever you need in your life for that day, you'll have it from heaven. And every day you get up, you ask for it. You find grace when you go for a throne. You ask for it. And it doesn't cost you anything. People will ask you what's wrong with you. Things won't touch you. It's like you get filled with heaven. It's like you can't get offended. You don't get angry. Fear doesn't come in you. My family asked me, what did you do? I taught all of them to do it. We do not have strife in our home. Okay, they got it. So we're ready? Yeah. Oh, that's okay if we can hear the music. So everybody, don't forget to what? We are the video. exercises you can do and uh, <laughs> see when you get older the muscles around your eyes get weak and so it changes the shape of your eye instead of being round it becomes like this and you start to need reading glasses like I have because I've not been really good about doing them and people actually have done these eye exercises watching me there's a little muscle that goes around your eye like this a thin like it feels like fishing line I say that because my husband's a fisherman and actually, it sits on this bone here and up here. And if you can find that little tiny muscle, people are doing that. This is important. It could change for you if you're getting tired of doing that. If you will push that. Now, I do them both at the same time to save time. You'll find out why in a minute. God put it on the heart of this one woman. You're still holding your eye. <laughs> he said, why do some uh, ethnic groups, why do they not wear glasses? 
And she actually was going to study to be an ophthalmologist. She goes, I don't know why. He goes, find out. Study and find out which group does not have to wear them most of the time. And you go there and study under an ophthalmologist and find out what they do. It was China. She went and studied under this Christian ophthalmologist in China. When you start approaching the age of 40, you go for a checkup. They teach you these exercises. They teach you them. Your muscles stay strong. Your, your eye never changes shape. It even can prevent you from seeing distance or actually reduce your prescription. And, and she proved it, and she did this video, which I just, God had me watch. I happened to catch her when she was being interviewed on television. And I tried it, and I was like 52 before I had to have breathing glasses. And most people, you get 40, 45, you're going to start having to get something, you know, and, that, and it keeps going up higher and higher. And uh, when I was doing them, I didn't need them at all. So what you do is you find that little muscle here. I can feel it. You just press down it lightly and pull down, and you can actually, I'm teaching this on the video, it's for free. <laughs> God's giving it to you for free. And you will press, you go one, two, a hundred times. We're not going to do it right now, I'm just telling you. You press that, but if you do both at the same time, like this, you'll save time. Do a hundred times here, a hundred times up here, then you feel in here, this is the exercise she taught, you feel up in your temple till you find the part that's like really sore, you'll find it, it's that pressure point, you feel it's like, ooh, I just found it, ooh, kind of hurts to push on it right there, that's the muscle that runs behind your eye, you press on that a hundred times, so it's actually if you do it here, here, and here, and do it at the same time, and you do that uh, two to three times a day, until you reduce the prescription, and it takes about a week, a week and a half, doesn't take a long time, you notice you don't need them anymore to read with. After that, you do it once a day. I'm, I'm not kidding. You will do that once a day once you learn it, and you will not need reading glasses. You'll never have to strain to see something, you know. It doesn't look like a bunch of ants walking across the paper when you look at it. <laughs> My daughter said, look at this mom moment. It looks like ants walking across the paper, honey. So anyway, so these are really weak glasses. These are my stronger glasses. And sometimes they don't write so good. I'm glad you're not judging my writing. Anyway, that was for free. So now you know there's something you can do about it. Now, if it's for, I never get the far-sighted, near-sighted thing going. I think near-sighted is you can't see far away. I don't know why they call it that. It should be far-sighted if you can't see far away. It's nearsighted because you can only see near. Is that it? But not far. That does not make sense to me. <laughs> if you have that problem, you put it on the same muscle and you shake it. Now, this is a crazy thing. You shake it like this. One, two, three. And it reduces the, the farsightedness. If you press like that, it reduces you not being able to see up close. That's exactly what she taught. And how it comes to people and they're testifying about it. So she still does that today. Travels over and teaches that to people. You got it for free. You didn't have to buy the video. <laughs> Honestly, try it. I've had people come back and say, you know what? I, I did that eye thing and it worked. I'm going to start doing mine again. So I'm going to be talking mainly from uh, Ezekiel 28. And, and I don't have all my papers. I don't need them. I've shared this so many times. I'm going to tell you... Um, It'd be nice, God, if I could find the one piece of paper. <laughs> Since they dropped on the floor. But I may not find it. But there is scripture in the Word of God, and a lot of people a lot of people know the scripture. You may not know where it's found, but you need to, because if people ask you, you're supposed to be able to tell them. 
I love the Holy Spirit. He told me where it was. <laughs> okay, this is called the ancient paths, the mystery of life before earth. You're going to get some deep things right now. You're going to get it really fast. So you don't try to write it down. In Jeremiah 1.5, it says, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And then in Psalms 139, I knew you before you began to breathe. I wrote every day of your life in a book. Okay, in Hebrews 12.9, it talks about us. It talks about him being, uh, he is the father of spirits. He's not talking about angels, the father of spirits. In Acts 17.28, in him we live and move and have our being, our existence. It says, the prophets and poets of old have spoken of these things. That's before you came here. He's talking about before you came here. Before you came to earth. It says in Ephesians 1.4, According he hath chosen us in him, in him, before the foundations of the world. That's what Ephesians 1.4 says. It talks about that. Uh, so it talks about us. And if you ever could stand before the throne of God, you, you would have seen this anyway. And a lot of people have seen it. If you stand there long enough... And look at the, at, at the Father sitting on the throne. He's really big. And this glory just comes from his face, the beauty of his glory. And that goes out and becomes that rainbow that goes like this all the way around his throne. It's so beautiful. But if you, if you stood there long enough, you'd see little spirits coming in and out of the Father. They ride on the rays of glory. You, before you came to earth, you couldn't just live as a being in heaven. You weren't a being with a body. You were a little spirit, and I'm going to show you because I talked about that earlier. When God created Adam out of the dust of this earth and he leaned over, where did that spirit, Adam's spirit, come from? What did God do? Say it loud. He breathed him out of himself. He breathed that spirit of Adam into that body. It was in him. We were chosen in him before the foundations of the world, okay? Inside God is eternity. Inside God are not organs like you have. He is a supernatural being. If you could see inside God, you see the most beautiful place ever in heaven. It would be in Him. It would be endless. There is no end. If you looked inside God, it is e- eternity is there. And actually, the uh, Jesus can stand up and step inside of God. The Holy Spirit comes and gets inside of God. That is the three in one. Real simple explanation. He showed me that one time. I'm going to show you the Godhead. Because most people struggle to think that we have a three-headed God. There's people that think that. Because there's three beings but one God. What does that mean? It's real easy. They step inside of him. They are one. One, three in one. That is the Godhead all in one. And then they step out and are separate. When Christ said, Father, I pray that they be one even as we are one. That's what he was talking about. That literally when you go home to heaven, your spirit goes home to heaven, you have the ability to step inside the Father. He's going to show you when you go home where you came from before you came to this earth. We were all little spirits. And if you stood there long enough, you could see little spirits. They come out on the glory rays. I love to see in Him we live, we move. The only way you can move in and out of God was to ride on the glory rays that came from Him. You go in and come out. And you actually hear them saying, send me. Jesse heard the same thing. He saw the same thing. They had a little child that uh, didn't die, but he caught them up to heaven. And they said they saw fireflies coming in and out of God. That's what they said. 
They didn't know what to, they even tried to draw them. They even tried to draw the throne. I think it's in the book, Eight Big Big Angels or Six Big Big Angels. I didn't read the whole book, but I heard a friend who knows them and said that they saw, they called them fireflies because you look like little spirits of light. What, did you, what does God say we are the? Light of the world. God is light. Yeah. Don't hide your. Your spirit being is made out of light. And so what you would see was these little spirits and they're different sizes and they're filled with the light of God because you lived in him. And you see them come in and out of him saying, send me, send me. That's where you were before you came here. You were chosen in him from the foundations before the foundations of this world. He built this earth so we could send you here to become a person and you could be on the outside of him. He could have a family. In Acts it says that he is our father. We are his offspring. In Acts 17, uh, in, in Acts 17, it talks about in Him we live, we move, and have our being. But in the book of Acts, it also says that He is our Father, we are His offspring. So I'm trying to get this picture, give you a picture that inside God is eternity. We lived in Him before we came here. So inside God is a beautiful place. It's eternity. Inside the heart of God, it says our God is a consuming. Say it real loud. Our God is a consuming fire. That is his passion and love that burns for us. Well, there's something I've known for a long time that was God's heart. The stones of fire. Stones with fire. That's God's heart. Now, I didn't know what they were, but I knew for a long time that was where Lucifer walked. That's what I'm going to show you in the word right now. Why it was such a travesty. Why Lucifer said he was like God. Why he thought he could take over heaven. Why he even fell. He was created like no other uh, created being that he made. He was made different than anybody else. Read Ezekiel 28 and get like three or four different translations of it and read it. And I don't have those papers, but I don't need them. I've said, I've, I've given this message so many times. But it talks about, uh, it's God telling Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. It says the king of Tyre, but it's Lucifer. Because he says later in there, he said, I, you were in the Garden of Eden. And every precious stone was your covering in the day I made you. He's talking about Lucifer. You were the anointed cherub, the most beautiful cherub, the cherub that covereth. It doesn't say what he covered, but I'm going to tell you what he covered. He actually showed me this. He showed me all this. And I didn't understand it at first, but I got real excited when I saw. It shows you really how much you are his sons and daughters. He meant it when he said you were his offspring. You lived inside of him. He wanted to have you as a family. That's why he sent us here. But you have a free will that he will not mess with. The angels had free wills. They had to choose too. They had to make a choice for him or against him. So anyway, inside God is this beautiful place, eternity. We lived inside of him. We lived, we moved, we had our only existence was in him. We played there like little kids. That's why he wants you to come back as little kids. We played on the heart of God. We actually played on the stones of fire. In Ezekiel 28, it talks about Lucifer and the day he was made. And every precious stone was his covering. On the outside of Lucifer, it names all of the gemstones that God put on him. That is scriptural. A lot of people don't even know he was made like that. He was made like that because he was made to be a part of worship. He was put in charge of the worship in heaven as an archangel. That was his job. One third of the angels were under him. They were created to worship God. We take their place. He didn't make new ones. We worship him. We worship him instead. So Lucifer was put in charge of worship. 
And he said, you're the anointed cherub that covereth. I put all these precious gemstones on you. And the day I made you, I put pipes and tabrets in you. He could make music. Some people don't know that. He was made to be a part of worship. He actually could create music. None of the other angels could create. But he made him have the ability to be able to make music. That's why he tries to control music. He said, you're the anointed cherub that covereth. I have put you on my holy mount. That was inside God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit was the Word. Jesus' name before he came to earth and died for us, his name was the Word. The Word was with him him from the beginning. And then when he chose to come and die for us, he was the first Son of God sent into the earth. Lived life like a man on this earth, and then his precious blood was shed to bring us back to God because Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And Lucifer was waiting. What was on the outside of Lucifer? Gemstones. Read Ezekiel 28. I don't have to convince you. It says he put them there. Diamonds, topaz, emeralds, rubies, carbuncle, all of them. He put them on, on the outside of him because it had to do with worship. Okay, what happens when you hold a, a crystal or, or a diamond up to a light? What comes out of that? Say it loud. Rainbow. That's where the rainbow comes from, God. In the heart of God are the stones of fire. There's these massive, beautiful gemstones inside of his being. Around them burns that fire, that consuming fire for us. That light generated up around these beautiful gemstones and God pushes that rainbow out of himself all the way around in the throne room. It even can be proved scientifically. And see, God is giving new revelation to you. He wants you to know mysteries. It delights him to give his mysteries to his kids. That's what the word says. Are you his kids? Do you understand this? That the stones of fire are gemstones? He sat there and held one the size of a basketball. It was a massive diamond and he's holding it and the fire that was burning around it was still around it. He's standing there in front of me and here's this fire burning around it and all the way around that gemstone was a rainbow. And all I had to do was look at him with this massive rainbow around him and he's holding one in his hand that had his own rainbow and I knew instantly that the stones of fire inside God with his love that burns for us produces that rainbow on the outside. I also knew why Lucifer said he was like the most high. He was the only angelic being that he put these on, and he did it because it connected it to worship. When we worship God, that fire, that love of God burns brighter on the inside of him. It shoots up around these gemstones. That rainbow gets brilliant in the throne room of God when you worship him. So the reason he put them on Lucifer, he was the anointed chair that covered. He was made to be literally a part of worship. He put them on him. He made a place for him to stand inside of him. He would open his wings and had all the gemstones and he would make music. When the angels worshipped God, that fire from God's heart would burn up. And when it hit his and the ones on the back of Lucifer, that rainbow would be tremendous. But that's why he did it. You understand why he made him? To be a part of worship. But that's also why he started bragging, I'm like the Most High. He was the only one that had him. He knew God had him on the inside. He had him on the outside. And that was one of the reasons that in the word in Ezekiel 28, it said, you fell because of your beauty. 
he fell because he knew that he was sort of like God. He was the only angel that could make anything. He created worship. He wanted that worship because he could feel it coming into God. And the horrible thing was he literally knew the heart of God and still fell, still despised him, wanted to overthrow him and take over, but he knew that we were God's offspring. That's why he has abortion. He does not want people made in the image of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. He knows that. He knew actually where Adam came from. He knew that was one of the spirits that God sent to earth for the first time. And God said himself, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He'd already been kicked out of heaven, but he still had his gemstones on him. Lucifer still had these. When he was kicked out of heaven down to the earth and began to make it a wilderness, that's what the word says. So he was waiting in the Garden of Eden when God made Adam and Eve. He knew where they came from. He wanted to control them. That's why he wants to control all of you because you're made in God's image. And he doesn't want anyone in the earth made in God's image because he still used to think that he was the only one made like him. He hates you because you're sons and daughters of God. He hates you because he never got to control you. So now he wants to control your life. Now that you're outside God, he thinks that he can get control of you. He doesn't like it because we're made in his image. And what? And you know what God did? He for two hours quoted scripture to me. It's the only time I knew how long I was up there. And this is what he said. On this rock I will build my church. This represents love in heaven. That's what makes it so valuable. What do you give somebody when you get engaged? What do you give them as a token of love? I'll tell you a whole lot more he told me this what do you give on earth as a token of your love when you get engaged with somebody diamonds if you ever ask a jeweler they will show you a high grade diamond and they'll say look at the fire in that stone fire in the stones in these stones and then he says and he goes you will shine like the stars in the heavens you will become precious living stones in the earth he meant these beautiful you are the light of the world one night even the night about you will be light because the more you give yourself to him the more polished you become every time you go through a trial tribulation on this earth they're cutting another facet in you inside your spirit guess what you get when you get born again you get these We're made in the image of God. When you receive Christ, you get a deposit put on the inside of you. Lucifer hates you because he knows what you have. He cannot create life. We actually can create life. He can't create anything except hate and sin and and deception. And everything that God is, Lucifer is the opposite. God is light. He is darkness. God is love. He is hate. God is life. He is death. Everything is the absolute opposite of what God is. And he said, that's why Lucifer said he was like me. He had these put on him. But I'm going to tell you what God did. Oh, and another thing. What do they have you walk on in third world countries to prove allegiance to Satan? Does anybody know? Coals of fire. He made his own. Isn't that funny? He just happened to pick that. He used to walk on the stones of fire inside God. He knew that represented the heart of God, so he decided, when I have people give allegiance to me, they're going to walk on coals of fire, just like he used to walk inside God. What do New Age people use to channel evil spirits? 
crystals and gemstones. Isn't that amazing? Because you see, Satan wants to take anything that's holy and precious to God and defile it. Why do you think they call it the crystal sea? Because, see, these are the heart of God. Out of the heart of God flows the river of life. It goes under the throne, out into the streets of gold. People have gone to heaven and gotten into the river of life and picked up diamonds. There's a lot of testimonies. They picked up diamonds out there because they flow from the heart of God. That river of life flows all over heaven and becomes a crystal sea because there's diamonds in it. If you could ever stand and look at the crystal sea, you see little rainbows shooting up out of that water. It's absolutely gorgeous. It is beautiful. It's so filled with the light of God. So that's one of the revelations that he gave me. He said, when I look at you, I see you as precious living stones. On this rock, on this rock representing my heart, I will build my church through love. Out of the heart of God comes all revelation. On this rock of revelation, on this rock of love, on this rock of wisdom, it all comes from God. That's what he's building his church on, on love. Did y'all like that? Amen. Praise God. The other thing I want to share with you is about the violence that takes it by force in the book of Matthew. It talks about that. Where Christ said from the time of King uh, Matthew 11, 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And people go amen and they don't know what it means. Most people don't know what it means. He even had me look up some of the translations and they said, from the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is under attack and men are running in there and snatching it. That's a translation in the word of God. I'm like, I'd like to see a man run into the kingdom of heaven and take anything. Other ones said that they were under attack and they were being, they were being raided by people. The kingdom of heaven. I'm like, they missed that all the way around. And so the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to give you revelation on that. One day I'm driving my car and I hear the Holy Spirit yell into my car from the times of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And I went, Amen! And I didn't know what it meant. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, you know, that does not mean, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean a state of being. In other words, I knew he meant the word suffers doesn't necessarily mean under attack. And three days later, I'm sitting in my house, and the whole room disappears, and a little ticker tape comes in front of me. He makes sure I understand. He's going to make sure I don't mess it up. I'm not a brilliant person. I don't have any kind of degrees, except maybe one of visiting heaven. That's about it. And, uh, and I've been raised in the Word of God, but I don't really have any kind of degrees. And so he had the whole room disappear, and I see a little ticker tape that says this, Suffer the little children to come unto me. And when I saw that word suffer, I went, that doesn't mean under attack. I got every dictionary out after he said that to me, looked up every dictionary. It all said under continual attack, suffering in agony, you know, uh, uh, being attacked. It, that's what it all meant, suffering and agony or uh, uh, all kinds of things, but not what I knew it meant, not what he wanted me to know what it meant. And so he, he shared that with me and he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And then I heard him say this, this is what that word means. That word suffers in that scripture means uh, call forth the little children to come unto me. Cause the little children to come unto me. He said, now say it like this. From the time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven calls forth violence. 
on the inside of the believer and they, the violent, take it by force from the enemy who never had any right to it. And then he kept quoting scripture to me. And he said, your weapons of warfare are not carnal. They are not physical. They are spiritual. They are supernatural to the pulling down of strongholds. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. You wrestle against the spirit realm. And then he said, I have given you a supernatural weapon. 1 John 2.27, the first time I ever heard it. When you receive Jesus Christ, you receive a deposit of the anointing. That's the same anointing that rose Christ from the dead. That's the same anointing that Peter and Paul used to release into handkerchiefs and aprons and lay them on people's bodies and they got healed, they got raised up and devils went out of them. That is the same thing that lives on the inside of you. That scripture said it abides and lives in you. You are not supposed to be keeping that on the inside of you. You are supposed to be releasing it to the degree that it leaves you automatically. When people make a draw on the anointing, I can walk into a room and feel it leave me without saying anything. Because you're drawing on God. You want something from God. When you're anointing, when you're used to releasing that anointing into things, it'll leave you automatically. When Jesus walked down the streets and all the crowds were around him and he goes, virtue and power just left me. How did he know that? He didn't even see that lady. It had so saturated his clothes that he wore that it draws. You feel it leaving when a demand is made. When she walked up and touched the hem of his garment, it left him automatically because there was a demand made on it. It healed her. People still get healed from the anointing today. You're supposed to learn how to release that anointing. It's one of your supernatural weapons. When you release that anointing, you want to know what the enemy sees? He sees the same thing that he saw happen when Christ stood up in hell on the third day. That's exactly what he saw, what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. When he stood up in hell on the third day, and it said he spoiled and ruined principalities and powers. See, Satan didn't have a chance really to torment him. But the scripture said that Christ tasted death for us. When you die as a believer, you do not taste death. He told me, 1982 in a mountaintop, you will never taste death. I didn't know what that meant. Does that mean I'll never die? That sounds wild, but hey, if you want to do that, that's fine with me. That's not just trying to tell me. You don't taste death. It says death is torment. When you die and you're not a believer, you are going to get tormented. He went down into hell for us so that we would receive what he did and we would never have to go there. It would cleanse us from our sins when we received that sacrifice. But you got something else when you received him. You got a deposit of the same thing he carried. And on the third day after Satan had made sure he got every one of his hierarchy was going to stand there. He wanted them all to see him torture the Son of God. He was going to make a show of it openly. Guess who made the show of it openly? The scripture says so. Jesus knew it was going to happen. He stood up and began to release the anointing on the inside of him. It does destruction to the enemy's camp. The glory of God left him. It went into every crack and crevice of hell. The glory of God, the fire, the passion of God, it looks like liquid light. It went from him and it said he spoiled. Look in the dictionary and see what that word means. Unfixable, rotten, ruined, ruined forever. 
He marred them and scarred them. When the anointing leaves, it does something to darkness. They remember what happened that day. They were going to celebrate the destruction of the Son of God. And that is not what they, they did the biggest sting operation of all time. Instead, if Satan had knew what was going to happen, he would have never had him crucified. But God had a plan. And when he stood up on that day in hell and released the anointing, the glory of God left him. And it said that he went by and marred and scarred every one of the hierarchy in Satan's realm. All the principalities and powers were marred. They would never be able to remove that from them. He was going to let them know. He said he arrogantly, he said he braggedly and arrogantly made a show of it openly. He let every demon in hell who was there to watch him get tortured know this is what happens when the glory of God touches you. This is what happens when the power of God is released into darkness. They were screaming. They were in torment themselves for the first time. And he made Satan watch all of it. And then it says in the word of God, he went over and stripped Satan. Guess what he stripped off of him? Besides the keys. No, it says he took the keys. It says he stripped him. He took every single gemstone off of him that God put on him. Every one of them. People go, oh, he stripped him of his authority. He stripped him of his medals. He stripped everything off of him. Took the keys of hell and death and did the worst thing he could have done to him. Utter humility. He went one by one and took every single gemstone. He stripped him of the gemstones. Never again would he be able to say, I am like the Most High God. He was an absolute utter defeat. The anointing came from Christ and he marred all of hell. When you go around and release the anointing into something, every demonic being knows you found out who you were. What they see is that same fire, that same glory that left Christ when he released it. They saw, they see that on everything. Anything you lay your hands on, it can be any inanimate object. This is what God wants you to know. This is what he wants you to know. You were created when you received Christ. You get that. It's in you. It's always been there. The enemy beats you up and keeps you depressed and oppressed so you won't pursue to find out who you are. Made in the image of God It's one of the things you get as his children. In the last days, what you're going to do when you do those greater miracles, it supercharges your faith when you realize who you are. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the rhema word of God. God is telling you, you need to stand up and know who you are. You've received this power and authority over all the power of the enemy. My son already whipped him before. You have the authority to release this and it does something to darkness. If you release it into things and you give it to your family members who don't know him, once they touch that... That anointing will get on them. You could put it in a piece of paper. If I released it in this piece of paper, it would never wear off. You couldn't wash it off. You couldn't scrub it off. My mom used to, when we moved out of home, would take a handkerchief and release it into it and pin it underneath our mattress. You were sleeping on the anointing. You have authority to do that now. You don't need somebody like me to come and pray for your family. You don't need me to pray for your healing. What's on the inside of you, the anointing, has the power to break bondages. It heals. It delivers. It sets free. 
You need to release it into everything you touch, in your home, in your car, at your job. You don't even have to tell people you're doing it. It is one of your supernatural weapons that he gave you. It has great power over the power of the enemy. They're going to know you know who you are. And I challenge you to start releasing it, so stand up, please. I know it's late, but this is going to be worth it to get this. You are no longer just going to be hearing about the ministry. This is part of you doing the works of the ministry. We're supposed to train you to do them. And it will change your life. It will change your loved one's life. We've had people release anointing into a pair of boots, give them to the brother who hated them for years. He was restored to them from wearing the anointed boots. We had somebody in another congregation go to a lady in the hospital. She was pregnant. They were telling her to abort her baby because it was deformed. The congregation laid hands on a box of tissues. Everyone came by after I activated them. And you don't need me to activate you, but you know what it is? It's a point of contact. Besides, you're going to get the fire of God on the inside of you anyway. Because I'm going to give you some of that too. And they laid hands on this tissue box. They took a tissue that the congregation prayed for, not me. They took it to the hospital, laid it on that baby, on that woman, and three days later did another sonogram, and the baby was whole. That baby has been born. He is well and whole now. They have all kinds of miracles happen because they chose to release anointing. When I drive by places, these gentlemen's clubs, and I can tell you one of my sisters, not Jennifer, One of my sisters who now has a uh, deliverance ministry, she used to work in those men's clubs. And I would drive by and this is what I did. I released the anointing. I nullify all the power of the enemy operating in that place. I call forth those people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And my sister would stand there and she goes, we may as well all go home. (laughs) The men fell asleep on the counters. You know why? Because those spirits could not operate in them. They could not affect them in any way whatsoever because I took authority. I released the anointing and it nullified the power of the enemy. And then I called them forth into the kingdom. People, the girls who used to dance got saved. And my sister sent and said, just go home because you aren't going to get nothing. For a whole week, they would have no business in that place. Guess what? That place is now closing down in my city. I never once asked God to burn it to the ground so it couldn't do anything. I took authority over the power of the enemy and never left my car. When I go into the store, I walk past all the witchcraft stuff and I will hold my hand and say, I nullified the power of the enemy. You will affect nobody with any of this stuff. They can take it home all they want to. They won't even care about it. They will get bored with it. When I look at clothes in the store, every hanger I touch, I release the anointing. Everybody who ever comes and tries that stuff on is going to be wearing the anointing. You cannot wear it off. When people come to your home that don't know God, invite them over for dinner. Release the anointing into the food before you ever cook it. They will eat it. It will get on the inside. It begins to break up darkness. People have gotten people saved by doing that. When you're at work and you've got to return something into your boss, don't ever hand it to them without releasing the anointing. When you give it to them, guess what? I have people that went into their office and tried this. They sat in every one of the leadership's chairs and released the anointing. I tell you what, there was so much stirred up in that, in that company after they started doing that because the devil was affected by it. Some of them got saved. Some of them quit and left that weren't there for God. It will affect people. If your family members start acting up, that means it's working. 
you lay on your own teenagers' beds when they leave and release the anointing into their bed. They'll have dreams and visions of their destiny. It's the same anointing that rose Christ from the dead. You have it on the inside of you. You must go home and read 1 John 2.27. I'm not making this up. This is one of the revelations he's bringing now because he's about to do something different he's never done before. He's going to pour out his spirit, that passion, that fire from the heart of God on every flesh. Every one of his believers who are out there releasing the anointing is going to supercharge that anointing. And you literally will step into doing those greater miracles that Christ said you would do, like like driving cars on the water instead of walking on it. (laughs) Instead of just stopping a storm, stopping an earthquake. And then, because it's got to be greater, put it back. He showed me it happening. There will be believers in the last days that will stand out in the middle of the street, stop the earth, and say, put it back, and all of it will go back the way it was before. He himself said we would do greater miracles than he did, raising someone from the dead who was cremated. Did he say we would do greater miracles? He raised someone from the dead who was rotting in the grave. What is the difference if you're rotting or you're ashes? It's a greater work. He showed me one believer walking through a hospital carrying this anointing with the glory of God on them, never touching a doorknob, and every person in the hospital was healed. There will come a time on this earth in congregations where nobody will be sick. They told me they're going to empty the body parts warehouse in heaven during this move of God. So if you've got things that need to be replaced that you've been praying about for years, just hang on. Because if they're going to empty it and you're a believer, you're going to get your part. That's why he said this is the most exciting time to be alive as a believer. But if you want to be active in what he's doing and not just watch it happen, you need to get empowered to release that anointing. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to declare something first. And then we're going to make a line. And this does not take any time at all. You're going to come up here. uh, Come here and I'll demonstrate, honey. You're going to come up here and you're going to walk, literally just walk past me. I'll put my hand on yours. And this is what happens. The fire of God leaves me. It goes in your spirit and it stirs up. I don't give you the anointing. It's there. It is going to stir it up. And then you're all going to go back to your seats and you're going to practice releasing it. And he told me if you release it in the tires of your car, everywhere you drive, it will leave fire tracks in the spirit realm. I've gotten to the point where I release it from my feet. Everywhere I walk, when I get out to go into place, this is what I say. You can even just say it in your spirit because it's in your spirit. It's a spiritual gift. You don't even have to say it out loud. Eventually, you'll just think it. Eventually, you won't say nothing. It'll just leave you. I just walk in a place and I say, I take this property for the Most High God. I release the anointing into every part of this place. Amen. You go on one piece of your property and lay hands and say, I release the anointing. And like a shock wave, the anointing will leave you and go to every bit of your property. Amen. Release it in your vehicle, in your home. People come over, sit on your sofa as they get the anointing on them. Touch all the handles and doorknobs. When you use your card at the thing and you scan it and push the, can, the pin pad number, push the anointing, release the anointing every time you touch it. Everybody who comes to Walmart and uses that place where you just did it is going to get the anointing on them. It, you can multiply it. This is something God wants you to do. So you're going to hold your hand out and I'm going to go, I strip and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. And I'll do that to everybody. You're also going to get an impartation of the fire of God. If you are a married couple 
after you have had that done, you stand over here and make a line. I'm going to come and release the passionate power and we're both going to release the passionate power in you. Your marriage is going to change. Your marriage is going to change. Your finances are going to change. It will affect your family. It will keep the enemy out of your house. He'll begin to drop wisdom and understanding in you because you are doing what he wants you to do. You are loving one another. So you're not going to be the same when you leave here. Everybody say amen. Amen. So let's declare this. Say, Father, Father, as an act of my will, I want the anointing stirred up in me. Receive a deposit. It's only a deposit. The more I release, the more I'm going to get. I want you to set me up. When you release that glory, I'm going to carry it around this earth till it covers this earth like the waters cover the sea. Amen. So now we're just going to, I don't know how we want to line up. I guess we can come one row at a time. Just come up here, walk past me, and go back to your seat. My husband's going to come over here and stand behind me. You're going to get a double portion because he's going to release it into me, and you're going to get a double portion. So just come on, just keep walking. Hold your hand up. I stir up and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. I stir up and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. I can, let me tell you, I feel it leaving me, whether you feel it or not, it's going inside of you. I stir up and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. Whatever you need from God, you can ask Him right now. You don't need three lines, okay? You just need Him. When it's released into you, just declare what you need from Him, and then you're going to release the anointing into other people. Father, I stir up and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. I'm going to teach y'all, as soon as you, everybody gets done, we're going to stand up and declare something, then you're going to lay hands on something, and I will actually feel it coming in waves on me from you. So as soon as you get this done, go sit down. I strip and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. If y'all start to burn later on tonight, don't worry about it. <laughs> Sometimes a couple days later, in the middle of the night, people will run in, into the shower, like on a continual basis, because they're burning. It's God. It's God in you. I stir up and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. When you send an email, don't ever push send until you release the anointing into the email. Oh, it'll leave and get all over the people. When you go to call someone on the cell phone before you push send, release the anointing into it. God uses high tech. I stir up and activate the anointing in Jesus' name. Uh, All the married couples, (laughs) get ready. We're going to do this together, okay? We're going to lay hands, hold your hands together and hold them out like this, like let's show them. Just hold it like this, either this way or this way, and we're both going to lay, I'll lay my hand on top, he'll unbite them, and we're just going to say passionate power. And you're going to get something. Even if you're still married but separated, you're going to get some and take it back to the other person. And God can do a miracle, let me tell you, even with just one of you, if you are married and still married, you need this. And God can restore. He will restore. So let's go. Passionate power. We're going to learn to release it. Stand up. And just say this, and, and you don't need to tell me to, you know that the scripture says you don't need any man to tell you that you have this, because he's telling you you have it. 
But you need someone to let you know it's there. Because I don't know many people who even know about that scripture. Okay? We're supposed to be doing the work of the ministry, right? That's what we're here for, to train you. Tonight you're getting trained. And this is the good news. You yourself can tell any believer about this. Turn to the scripture. Go in the book of Acts and show them where they release the anointing and that stuff. What happened It's the same anointing. Show them the scripture where the woman touched the hem of his garment and said, I felt power or virtue leave me. It's the same power. Then turn to the scripture where it says he spoiled and ruined principalities and powers. Okay, he went through that for us. He let them know this is what happens when you mess with the Son of God. This is what's going to happen when my people know who they are and they begin to release the same thing. It will do the same thing to darkness. And God showed me a point. There will always be darkness in this earth until everything's over with. It's going to be there. And it does say the darkness will get darker. But no one ever finishes that scripture. But it will never be greater than the light, which is the glory of God. And if, he's, and if he plans on pouring it out, and it says, until my glory covers this earth like the waters cover the sea, that's going to take a lot of believers carrying this glory. And the world at one point will know God is real because of what we're doing for him. So we are not leaving here. Stop thinking about escaping and start taking dominion. Start operating in the anointing that he gave you so you're ready when it comes in waves from heaven. You'll be some of the greatest ones that you will be responding. Because when the glory comes, it's going to do one or two things. It will either let you carry it or it will expose what's on the inside of you. Because that light will expose darkness. And what's going to happen literally is people will run out of places asking people, how do I know God? They're going to feel that love on them. The unbelievers are going to run out looking for people and you're going to have answers. And that doesn't take a whole bunch to know because once you're sharing it, they're going to run and share it and they'll run and share it and they'll run and share it and they'll run and share it. And it will explode. And then you're going to do those greater miracles to the point where the world is really going to want to know God. So this is the first step. We've crossed the threshold of this happening. We're not waiting for ages. We're getting ready now. He's letting his people have a time because of his mercy to know who you are, what you have, and you start releasing it now. And let me tell you, people can tell you all they want to, it doesn't work. The enemy will totally try to tell you it doesn't work. If you hear that, oh, it didn't work, you just turn around and this is what you say in the air. I am made in the image of God. The word says I get a deposit of the same anointing when I receive him. I have it. I'm using it. I know who I am. It's just too bad. And guess what? He'll quit telling you it's not working. He won't like it that you're doing it because it will terrify him. The enemy doesn't respond out of anger. He responds out of fear. And instead of putting fear in you, you will turn it around and put it in the enemy. So everybody say, Father, Father, as an act of my will. will. And when you say this next thing, you're going to turn around and lay your hands on something. And you're just going to picture it leaving you as you lay hands on it. Say, I choose choose to release the anointing. anointing. Now turn around and lay hands on something and just say, I release it. Somebody or something, it doesn't matter what you do. You can do it to people. You can do it to things. Lay it on your purse, on your wall. Anything you want to lay it in, your kids, just 
Just keep releasing. I can stand somewhere and they'll walk past me and I feel the glory of God leaving them. It is leaving you whether you ever felt it leave you or not. If you keep releasing into things, one day you're going to lay hands on something and you're going to think, I release it. And you will feel it leave you. When that happens, you are never going to stop releasing that anointing. If someone asks you to pray for them, make sure while you're praying, you release the anointing at the same time. It'll break up darkness. God's going to give you all kinds. The Holy Spirit will continue to give you ideas of how to release it. I was sharing this and a girl jumped up. She goes, I work in a restaurant. I'm going to the food pantry and release it and all the food. Do you know everyone who comes and eats at that restaurant is going to actually get the anointing on the inside of them? Amen. Lester Summerall did that one time. During his crusade one time, a lady came up and told him this is in his book. Her sister was in an insane asylum for years and she goes, I want her set free. What do I do? And he said, what does she like to eat? And she's like, what? What will she eat if you give it to her? And she goes, well, she likes M&M's. And he said, bring me a pack of M&M's. He didn't even lay hands on it and pray for it. He put it in his coat pocket and left them there for the whole week. At the end of the week, he took them out and gave them to her. She went and fed them to her sister. In 24 hours, she was totally sane. She became a believer because she ate the anointing that got in those M&M's. Don't ever give a gift. Don't ever send an email. Don't ever call someone on the cell phone without releasing that anointing in there. Did y'all enjoy this message? Look up to heaven and say, thank you, Father, for letting me release the anointing. Never let me get to a point in my life where I don't need you. I love you. Amen. Thank you.